Hello and welcome to another episode of No Particular Podcast. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, This is going to be a great episode that I had with my friend Sean Diamond. We're going to dive into some details of his his past and he's going to kind of unpack his experiences around alcoholism and um, how he overcame that and um, some battles with drugs and such, and it's a really interesting story. But first, I want to talk about a few things that I've been dealing with over the past couple of months. Um, not alcohol, not alcoholism or drugs myself, but um, I've been kind of going through kind of a, um, I would call it like a spiritual reawakening. You know, a long time ago when I was a young man, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and... Um, I became a Christian and, you know, ashamedly, I didn't dive into all of that very much. I didn't dive into the scripture and I didn't, um, I didn't continue to invest. And I'm frustrated about that because over like the past, I mean, I would say a decade, probably past decade, I've really just kind of slowly, um, kind of been on my own side quest, you know, doing all kinds of other things. And, uh, you know, I'm not really, I'm kind of bummed about some of the, uh, some of the things I, I, I just kind of, I guess the paths I went down and everything. And I'm glad that I've remembered kind of what's important and re, you know, reinvested back into my faith because I, I mean, it's, yeah, it was just, I wasn't on a good track there for a moment. And it's, it's frustrating and I'm glad to be back where I'm at, but, um, it kind of came about from watching a friend get really sick and he, he's much, he's better now and everything, but yeah, he was in the hospital for a few days and I was super worried and stressed about him. Um, and I just wanted him to be okay, but it made me think about death and kind of the afterlife and everything a lot. And what can be expected when our time here comes to an end. And uh, I just had kind of forgotten about what I know to be um, the truth. And I needed to reconnect with that. And so I, I went through some time of just daily anxiety and stress and worry. To the point to where I was just having a hard time living. Getting out of bed each day. And I was just, I don't know, I was just... I was emotional each day a lot. I had a hard time just holding it together. Um, And I was just in a constant state of worry, you know, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know what I was. I just felt like there was kind of no hope there for a moment, you know? And um, yeah, I was super, I was worried. Honestly, it's, I went to um, a, you know, a doctor and everything. I talked to them about it and they were quick to, and I think I speak to it in this episode, but they were quick to want to just like, do you need some, some antidepressants or something? And I was just like, no, I know that's not the answer. I don't want to do that. And I'm glad that I didn't. And for those that do use, you know, antidepressants, nothing against you. I'm just saying I didn't want to do that. I've always been kind of stubborn and not wanting to use those kinds of things because I just, I feel like I'm strong enough and that um, I don't need that kind of thing. I can work through it, and I did. I pushed through it, and I feel much better now. And I've really been diving into Scripture, and I feel great, and I'm excited about that kind of thing. And it's 
it's a it's a daily thing you know i've um become much more grateful for each day that i have and i think for a while there i was just i was just kind of um i got so uh i got to where i was very uh entitled i'm trying i became very entitled expecting each day and expecting each month and year to be good and getting better and everything and yet i was not uh i wasn't i wasn't showing any appreciation or being grateful for what i was getting and i i think that that is something that's really important um to give to give thanks and be appreciative and so i've been doing that once again i've been giving god appreciation and thanks i even with with waking up each day you know that i was talking with one of my buddies and we were discussing how how crazy it is how many people make it to like 70, 80, 90 years old and they get to see that many years of life and they dodge as many random variables that a person can come across in life that would bring it to an end. And, um, you know, when we when we'd been talking about this, he was like, yeah, man, I mean, you could have an aneurysm tonight and die. And I was just like, thanks. I'm already in a constant state of stress right now. I did not need to hear that. But it's true. I mean, it, it could be something like that. And it just all of a sudden comes to an end. And it's amazing that that kind of thing does not happen more often. And, uh, and yeah, so I've been waking up and I've been trying to give my thanks right away. Like, you know, thank you, God, for giving me another day. Thank you so much. Or even when I've gone on like motorcycle rides lately, you know, when the weather's good, that I get a ride somewhere and the weather stays nice. You know, I just thank you, God, for this good weather. I appreciate it. And it's just made me really feel like life, like I appreciate life much more by just, by just giving thanks to God. And, um, yeah, so, um, Anyhow, this all kind of comes back to, uh, you know, I just want to, uh, I just want to bring my faith more into the fold and be bold and, um, be bold with it and to share it with the, with others rather than to just feel like, Oh, well, maybe this isn't make people comfortable. So I'll just tuck it away. And I care more about people than to just tuck it away because I feel that faith and, and Jesus are very important. And it's something that I think everyone should, uh, I know that everyone should think about. And I hope that you do. If you're listening right now, and if you've been curious about, um, about that kind of, about faith and about Jesus and everything, I highly recommend that you look into it. Don't wait on that. Don't put that journey off because even worth where I'm at now, I wish I would have, uh, I wish that I would have invested into um, reading the Bible more and studying scripture when I was younger. And I am, I am now and I'm excited about it. It's been, it's been amazing, but yeah, it's, uh, I feel, I just feel that God's already been giving me a lot of wins ever since I've been giving him thanks. And ever since I've been investing more time to learn about um, his word, I just feel that I've already seen a lot of really positive changes and yeah, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling grateful and excited right now. Um, some other things I wanted to touch on is, um, around the voting right now, there's all kinds of uh, ballots that are getting sent out 
And I just invite anyone that's getting a ballot, that's starting to um, hear about and consider um, everything for the election, the 2024 election, that you start thinking about that and really start looking at what's going on um, in the political landscape of everything and consider the worst case scenario. I know that we live in a time of a lot of peace and um, I don't know, we're just very fortunate right now that we do not have... Um, we don't have an invasion going on or we don't have any kind of civil war that's in that's in place. But that's not to say that it couldn't happen, you know. And um, I just hope that you think about if the worst case scenario was to happen, you know, do we have the leaders in place to get us through that? Do we have um, the minds uh, that are trying to uh, guide the country in a way that's going to care for everyone and it's going to care um, for the future generations or is it for their own self-interest and that's what I've been really concerned about I've been worried about I've been worried about all kinds of political climate and international uh, threats and concerns and I don't think that uh, that's something that should just be slept on and I invite anyone that's that has family or you, if you have a wife or a husband or kids or loved ones that you really care about, that if the worst case scenario was to happen, if communications were to go down, would you be able to get in touch with your family in some way? Where would you guys meet up? You know, do you guys have a week's worth of food, two weeks worth of food stocked up and ready to go? I don't know. These are some things that I've been thinking about and I've been uh, just wanting to make sure that if there was something bad to really happen, that I have, I'm getting things in place and I invite anyone to do the same because I, while things feel possibly, maybe it feels great for you right now. I don't think feels things feel great, but, um, even though things are as good as they are right now, that's not to say that things can't change. Um, yeah, some, there's all kinds of great um, things to look to out there um, for resources and whatnot. There's this great website I came across called Four Patriots. Definitely not a sponsor. They are not paying me to, you know, uh, mention them, but they have some great resources that are worth looking into for, for something. But anyhow, um, yeah, I just, I think that it's important to vote and to start thinking about and uh, being mindful of, who we're having in office, who's representing us. And if you're like, well, it's all rigged anyways. It's all yet. Dude, just vote. That's all I'm saying. Just, just vote, just do what you can. And if you think that it is rigged and if you think that, um, there needs to be a change, then do something about it. I'm so sick of people that are just like, they want to complain and they want to be, they want to hate on the, on the system and the man and everything, but they don't want to do anything about it. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to go make anything happen. They just want to wait for somebody else to make something happen. Well, like you got a voice, you have a brain, go use it, make something happen. If you really, if you really care about it, but anyhow, I don't want to press in too much on that front of things. I just wanted to kind of talk about some things that have been important to me and that um, have been a focus of mine for the past couple of months. So if things kind of um, feel like they change a little bit or if I start bringing, um, you know, uh, talks of faith and, you know, my beliefs into the fold, it's because I really care about that. And I think that it's something that um, I want. I know that it's something I should share and I want to share. Um, 
And if it's making you feel any kind of way, start considering why you're feeling that way. If it's making you feel uncomfortable, maybe ask yourself why you're feeling uncomfortable about it. If you're feeling um, interested or excited, ask yourself about that too. You know, if it's something that you've been wanting to learn more about or whatnot, I guarantee you, if you're listening in the United States, you have sources to go and learn more about, um, about the faith. And I just hope that anyone that's, um, hasn't, uh, yeah, that hasn't looked into that. You start looking into that because, um, it's important guys. And I believe that it will make a positive impact to your life and your relationships with, um, with those around you and everything. So, yeah. Um, with that said, I want to go ahead and jump into this episode and um, let you all listen to uh, my friend Sean Diamond's amazing story. He really um, opened up and told me about all kinds of things that he went through in his past um, when he started drinking and how he came into contact with uh, certain drugs and everything that um, he had his battles with. And it's just, it's an amazing story. And I would have never guessed because you know, I've, I've met him current, like recently over the past few years. And I just know him to be this like really great dad, great husband, hardworking guy. That's, um, really having, um, a, a big impact and a big influence on leading a concrete, uh, business and everything. And so he, he just does amazing. He's doing amazing things. And it's wild to think that he came from such, um, a place that he speaks to in his story and it's inspiring. And if you know someone else that is, um, that's going through that struggle right now, I hope you'll invite him to listen and consider this story and just see that they're like, Sean is just an amazing example of for those that want to really get through it and want to, um, know a better life for themselves that there, there is a way and there's, um, He's an amazing example of somebody that's been able to do that, and I'm grateful to have gotten to speak to him, and I hope you all appreciate the episode. So without further ado, I'll uh, let you guys dive into that. Thank you. Stuff like that? Is that what you mean? Oh, or yeah, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, we're um we're good to go. So okay. um yeah, I, I know we've been kinda I've been meaning to like find time for us to like talk yeah. and everything. It's been a minute. But um yeah, I mean I know you wanted to dive in and like talk about some of your just your general past experiences sure. and we can start with kind of like would it be easier to talk about like your upbringing, like how you ended up on the path because Basically, you went through a bout of like alcoholism. Oh yeah, that you had to defeat. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love to just like give you the stage and let you dive on into it. I mean, do you want to? We can treat it like a meeting. You want to have a moment of silence? And no, I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, uh, like, well, one like everybody's story is like a little different. Like my upbringing wasn't like the worst, you know, my, my parents were divorced, uh, when I was at a young age, that's probably like six or eight, but you know, my dad, my real dad, he never drank 
And my mom, she, uh, she drank every once in a while, but never like really openly or anything like that. So um, I don't know if my real dad suffered from the disease of alcoholism. Um, so like it was kind of weird that like I took off with it, <laughs> you mm. know, I, uh, um, I mean, I had, I had somewhat of like a traumatic, um, childhood, but nothing that I would say that drove me to alcoholism, you know, like my parents getting divorced. Um, my dad used to be like, um, my real dad used to be mentally abusive. Um, he used to record conversations of people and then, like make me listen to them and stuff like that. And he'd, like interrogate me and yeah. Um, real weird stuff like that. But, um, I like the, the, I'd say the most traumatic thing I had as a child, I think I was in fourth grade and, um, my mom was, she had a fiance and he, um, he, uh, had like heart failure and he, he collapsed in a field and my mom was too frantic and I had to like give him CPR as like a fourth grader and like talk to the, um, dispatch and whatnot. And, uh, he ended up passing away. Hmm. And, uh, but like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like. I thought of those things and like, Oh, I gotta like, it wasn't like fifth grade Sean in a bar. Be like, if you sell the stuff I saw, <laughs> yeah, it's my own personal Vietnam, you know? <laughs> but, um, I like, uh, yeah. I mean, I think when I was like, I started drinking when I was in high school, I think I was like 13 or 14. And, um, like I had a, I had a friend that, I grew up like we grew up with we knew each other since like sixth fifth and sixth grade he was a year younger than me but um he lived down the street and then like I hung out with his family his family were like really cool people they like they used they would party they have like a lot of parties and get togethers and stuff like that and they 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 would get rowdy but it is never like one of those things like these guys are out of control like they weren't like redneck drunk all the time they were like they were just really fun so I would like drink with him like as like a teenager and stuff like that. And I remember my first and my first real memory of drinking was um, I think I was like 13 or 14. And we were at this party and his mom, my buddy's mom, snuck us two wine coolers each. And she was like, go drink these in the truck. And so we went to the truck and I remember I popped open the drink and I chugged both of them like five minutes flat. Oh, I was okay. like, it was like cold i was burping it was crazy and then like i remember looking at my buddy and he was sipping it and it was still on the he was not even halfway through the first one and i'm like i and i i shit you not i looked at him i said what are you doing man like you're not gonna get anywhere drinking it like that and like like that was like you said you're 15 i was like 14 14 yeah wow. i was like really young and i don't know why i knew that i just knew that you had to drink this and probably if you drink it really quickly, you're probably going to have time to drink more and you're going to get to where you want to go. And I had no real experience of being drunk or anything like that prior to that point. But for some reason, my brain knew that I needed to do that and that quickly and say something about it too. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. So like that was kind of it, man. Like I, I went off to the races kind of, you know, like I would drink, I would find people that knew how to get me alcohol, like throughout mm -hmm. high school. Um, I was kind of like that guy in high school where I knew everybody, but I wasn't really friends with like everybody. Um, uh, like I had like maybe three or four core group of people and, gotcha. and they drank, but a lot of times when they wanted to drink, they would come and find me hmm. or like, Hey, let's, let's meet up with Sean. Let's go find, you know, somewhere to drink. 
and that wasn't the case for every experience but i remember distinctively being like a lot of friends in high school would be who would like skip school for the day and come drink with me and i didn't drink like every day i wasn't like a full-blown alcoholic at like 15 or 16 but um i definitely was like that's was fun for me when like when would you say that it was it became like a part of your like your kind of daily agenda where you were like uh, or even your weekly like where you were like i'm gonna seek this out this um like probably say 18 17 or 18 okay so like i i turned 18 like at the beginning of my senior year and so um like october so like at the time like I school started in September. I turned like 18, like a month later. And prior to that, I had, um, I, I think when I was 16, I had a uh, skateboarding accident and like I broke my arm and I got hooked. I got, I, I learned about pain pills at the time and mm-hmm. I knew that that was pretty cool. And so that was kind of like happened. And I remember like, that was kind of the one thing I couldn't really find in high school. I always ask around and stuff like that, but I couldn't really get that. And so I drank a lot. And then, um, yeah, once I hit 18, then it was like I had a car. Um, I had already knew people how or how I could get alcohol. Um, and um, it was just like, yeah, that's the way it was. So, like, <clears throat> I did some pretty crazy, like, shady stuff, like, in high school. Like, I stole a lot from my former employer and um, uh, just to, like, make quick money and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, I would spend all my money on booze. And then when I graduated, I started to go to community college and I like realized pretty quickly that like I'd rather work. And I was like, oh, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm just a working class guy. I'm just going to go and work. And I did that. But in reality, it was because money bought me booze. And um, yeah, so that's when it really like I turned 18. I started making money. I started making decent money. I was probably making like $16 an hour with medical Okay. And like and that was at like eighteen years old. Back in like oh three. Okay, oh three. Yeah, it was like oh three. Pretty yeah. good money. Yeah, it was that good age back money. Then. Yeah, it was good. It was pretty decent, man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, especially for drinking. I mean, I mean, you can get a, like a twenty four pack for seven dollars. You know, so like it wasn't the best beer, but it got you there. And uh, um, yeah. So that's kind of like that's how it went. And despite the beer being cheap, I was always broke. But, uh, um, yeah, so I, you know, one of the things was like 18, I, like when I graduated, um, I moved out, I moved out right away. I got in a fight with my mom and I was like, I'm out of here. And like, where are you going to go? I'm like down the street. Cause that's where my friends, those friends that I had growing up, like I moved in with them. That was the mm-hmm. most logical choice. They have a kegerator. Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just like, now I live with in a place where like I can freely get alcohol whenever I want. And, um, so, so yeah. when, when you move or were moving out, uh-huh. were you making sure, like, was that a part of it? it was like, I want to make sure I can go somewhere where they, they won't give me any grief about this, um, like where I can drink and stuff like, yeah, I mean, I think I, I was pretty crafty enough. I mean, I think just in my head, there was probably no other choice. I mean, I was working, but I didn't make enough to like live on my own, nor was I responsible enough, but like. This was like a lateral. It wasn't like a lateral move. It was like a above a lateral move for me to move in with somebody. I was sleeping on their couch, and I was paying like five hundred dollars a month. But it was like I got to party every weekend, like every weekend, 
my buddy had an older brother that was on the basketball team and uh, in college. And so like every weekend they'd have college basketball parties mm. and all those guys were really cool. They were like super, even though they knew like we were younger, they were like, they didn't give a shit. They'd be like, yeah, let's, you know, drink. Like every weekend was pour some sugar on me was playing and everybody was dancing. It was <laughs> super cringe, but that's what we did, you know? And yeah. uh, like I was in it, so I couldn't, like everybody was doing it at the time. So I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like this is, this is the life. I was making decent enough money. Um, but uh, yeah, but that's when like, it, I mean, like, it was crazy. So even though I started, like, to really go off the rails at 18, like, it caught up really, really quickly. Um, I got fired for stealing that job. Oh. They caught my ass. Like, What kind of job was it? It was an office supply store. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was – I mean, it was like – What were you stealing? Like, so, so I wouldn't, like, just outright steal stuff. Like, I would get accomplices. Like, I would have somebody come in and grab a bunch of stuff off the – floor bring it up and i would do returns like on the stuff oh. off the shelves or like i would go into the computer system and i would do orders and ship them and i was able to i figured out that you could change prices in the system without a manager's override so i was changing prices and i was making purchases with like gift cards that my friends had like came, like not friends but like accomplices they would come in blah, blah blah and like i would order stuff on the computer and have it sent to their houses never sent oh. to mine because they had just looked that stuff up, you know? And then I would turn around and sell it on eBay. Dang. It was it was a racket. And I got I caught a lot of heat for it. Um Yeah. I Wait. Got, okay, well go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Well, I was gonna ask, so this is you you knew or used to work with uh, Matt Cutshall or Cutshall? Yeah, dude. Right? Yeah. Was that was that the no. Oh okay. No, no. Uh uh-uh. uh Matt was actually Matt left before like a majority of that happened. Mm. Matt Cutshall, yeah. We worked together. We went to high school. And, uh, um, no, the most trouble me and Matt ever got into is we would dance in the dance, like on the, in the, in the aisles. Yeah. And then people get pissed off. Like, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> be like these guys don't sell anything and all they do is just dance. And then you're just like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's wild. Because yeah. like, this is obviously before, cause he kind of blew up through Vine, right? He did. Like he, like, I think what happened and we weren't super close. We were close while we worked, but we weren't like. Buddies. We never talked on the phone or anything like that. Yeah. But like, I think he left Office Max. We were still in high school when he left, and then I think he went to work at like either Abercrombie or Fit, Abercrombie and Fitch, or like Airpods, one of the two. I remember I saw him in a parking lot, and he was wearing a pink like polo, and I was like, "Hey, what's up, dude?" And he's like, <laughs> "Oh, I'm going to work." I'm like, "Okay." Um, oh, okay. That makes. Sense. And then you know, years later, I saw him on Vine. Like he was like doing these funny videos he was in a boy band i guess called the it boys oh okay. so i started following him i was like this is like awesome man like it was pretty fun and um uh yeah so yeah that's uh, cool it was pretty cool i wasn't yeah i wasn't sure where along the path i was just yeah. it just popped in my head and i was like wait i want to bring that up but. <laughs> yeah i'd love to talk to him again i don't know yeah. I, I, I i assume he'd probably remember me to some degree but yeah i mean he's pretty popular guy now so <laughs> yeah think, yeah he's pretty famous so yeah, um, no, definitely, definitely not Matt. Matt wasn't involved in any of my shady stuff. Maybe people Matt knew, um, <laughs> possibly, but not like um, it was like a couple of people. And I got so when I got caught, I did not flip on any of them. Hmm. I took the heat. I took the took the heat of all of it, which rightfully so. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, they were. I was facing felony charges. Whoa. Oh yeah, like I went to actual court. Like I went to court. I got booked. I got arraigned, all that stuff, and I got sentenced, and all it. And so, um, Dang. I had to make restitution payments, and uh, um, yeah, and it came down to the wire. Like it was like, like I got booked, and then I went to court. I got a public defender, uh, made a plea deal. And they were like, you got to pay, like, it was like $9,000 in restitution and you needed like 200 hours of community service. And I was like, okay. So I did the community service, but I did not pay the restitution. Like it, like <laughs> I went and I had like, I think I had uh, two years to do it or maybe one. Hmm. And I went through the whole thing, drinking the whole time, of course, and partying, making good money, making arguably forty thousand dollars a year but i couldn't come up with eight and um and then finally what happened was at the very end i was i i was like 20 20 maybe and i finally qualified for credit cards oh so i was like hey thanks god aka sean and i fucking pulled a shit ton of credit out and paid it off and my (laughs) i remember this uh my public defender was like i didn't think you were gonna do it like stone faced was like i didn't think you're gonna do it and she was like i maybe i'm i is this a win for me i don't even know she was shook she was very shook that i was able to come through and do it actually i think i was 60 bucks short but i think they weighed it they were like dude all right um yeah (laughs) wait so how much was it that you had to like how much did i steal or how much did i pay back well, I guess what? Yeah, which either one, <laughs> however much you're willing to share. Uh, I think I had to pay back close to eight thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot, especially for like a nineteen, twenty year old. Like I was like. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be stressful. Yeah, yeah they sure. they like made an example of me for sure. Like it was it was. And you know, and I remember this, and and now it's embarrassing, but at the time I had such a huge ego. I was like. I remember I had been working there for like six months or something like that. And they had a new manager that started like a few months before I did like a general manager or store manager. And I remember at a meeting, he was like, he was like, he reinstated employee of the month. And I was the first one to get it when I was there. And I was like, when, when we was interrogating me after I got caught, he was just like, you just really blew my mind, Sean. Like of all the people in this entire store, like, I never expected it to be you. And instead of being like, oh, that hurts my feelings, I was like, fuck yeah. Still got it, baby. Obviously not got it enough, but in my in my egotistical mind, I was like, all right, all right. I got a little something going on here. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's disgusting, but. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. So, so even through this, it's not like you were humbled. You weren't like, no Whoa. way. No, I mean. If anything, it was worse. I mean, I remember, okay, so not shortly after that, I was, um, I think it was like a month away from being 21, and I got hit with a reckless driving charge hmm. and a minor possession of alcohol um, coming back from, I think we were coming back from like Cougar. Um, and uh, yeah, I got pulled over for doing 90 and a 25. And they were like, I'll take your ass to jail if I did not have to go get to another call. And, um, and it was like, you know, I went, 
I ignored it. What I did was I did I didn't I did a failure to appear. So it was oh, all the dang. way out in Longview for and I was like, I'm not gonna drive all out to Longview. So I just let it go. And finally it came down and they suspended my license and it carried over to Oregon from Washington. And uh. I was like, damn. So then I got like it didn't stop me. You know, I just kept I kept driving. I kept drinking and whatnot. And um Yeah, I'm oh yeah, I'm a little hazy on the events, but I remember throughout this whole time of being from like 18 to 23, I was in a long-term relationship with my high school sweetheart. Um, and we had broken up at 23. And I remember I moved in with my parents. And um, they were like, you need to get this fixed. Like, you need to get your license back. Hmm. And they were like, and they were hardcore. They were like, yeah, you got a car, but you ain't driving it. So, like, I had to take the bus. And then, so finally, I went, I went, they took me up to Longview. And uh, so I hired a lawyer. Oh, they they helped me hire a lawyer. That's what they did. They helped me hire a lawyer because I think it, uh, the failure to appear and the reckless driving was a felony. The reckless driving was a felony. So they hired a lawyer. The lawyer helped um, negotiate it down to a negligent two, which was just, it was community service and um, and a fine. Oh, okay. Right? But I didn't do the community service. Oh, jeez. And I didn't show up for my sentencing. And so... So I ignored it. This was before. This is before I moved in with my parents. See, I'm a little hazy on it, but this was before I moved in with my parents. So then they did all that. We got it reduced, all that jazz, and then broke up with my girlfriend, which I did it, um, which I could talk about. But moved in with my parents, and they were like, "No, you got to go face the music." So they took me up there, and the judge was like, "You could tell that his he was like, I am tired of these mother effing." <laughs> people and so every person that came up he was like okay see that you did this and this three days jail take them away next person come up oh you didn't you didn't pay your parking fine okay one day in jail take them away and then some guy came up and he's like i don't i don't like like what you did so we're gonna give you three days jail and the guy's like hey i have a job um can i report back um on the weekend and he's like okay fine and then like you know bang the gavel guy moved on so then i was up and he says, see, you failure to appear and blah, blah, did all this stuff. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, okay, three days in jail. And I'm like, um, previously it was a fine. Can I just pay the fine? He's like, no, you've had your chance. You're going to jail. I was like, oh, but I got a job. Can I come in the weekends? And he's like, all right, fine. So then like I went to jail. Like, oh, I you had, did? I did. And so my – oh, yeah, I was living with my parents. And my mom's hardcore Asian. So she was like, you're going to do this. So, yeah, she, she drug my ass up there on a Friday. And I went in, and I arranged with my um, supervisor that I was going to be off on Monday. So, like, end of work day, Friday, went in, off on Monday, had to do three days. And um, this is, okay. I had ne- I've been booked, but I had never been, like, actually jailed or overnight, you know. Never, in all my years of drinking or using or whatever, I never hit, got a DUI or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um so I always been released on my own recognizance. This time I was in there f- for real. And I didn't know the protocol. Like I didn't there wasn't any YouTube videos like what should I tell the guards before I go into prison, you know, or jail. I'm sorry, it's not prison, it's jail. So 
So I went in and they're, they're like super cool. I mean, they were like not like hardcore, like, you know, <laughs> arms against the wall and spread your cheeks. You know, they were <laughs> they were kind of like, OK, well, unfortunately, you have a logo. I have to take that off. I'd love to let you keep the shirt, but you can't. Um, you'll get your stuff back, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to book while you're here? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And they were like, just I just have to ask this question. Have you had any thoughts of suicide in like the last like 12 months? And I'm like, well, I'm an alcoholic, and my and I'm like, fuck yeah, I have. And so I was just true. I mean, I never was like, I'm going to kill myself, but I was just being like, straight up. I was like, yeah, probably. And he's like, okay. Unfortunately, I have to put you under suicide watch. And so they like stripped butt naked, and they put a like a tearproof vest on you, and I and I get put in a room where they don't turn the lights off, and basically every five minutes they station. Uh, an inmate at the door um, who peeks in on you to make sure that you're not killing yourself. Whoa. Um, and so, yeah. So I, that was like my first like overnight, like straight up. They were like the, um, the counselor will be in in the morning and evaluate whether or not you're a risk, but we can't make that determination. So this is happening. Right. So I read the fucking book in an entire night because I'm not sleeping. There's a guy who's peeking at me every few seconds. And it's like, and it's not like, it was obvious. Like you're here because it gets you out of your cell. Like mm-hmm. you get it. This is like, like road crew for you. Right. And, um, it was miserable. It was miserable. So then the counselor comes in and he's like, obviously you're not suicidal. I appreciate you being honest, but you know, I also see in your chart that you're only going to be here for three days. So I'm not going to put you with the general population. I'm going to put you in the medical wing. And so I get put in the medical wing um, where they don't let you have any free time whatsoever. You just got to stay 24 hours in your cell. They don't turn the lights off. I get a huge migraine. I'm throwing up. And, like, (laughs) the guys that are in the room with me are, like, banging on the door. Like, hey, yo, man, my man's throwing up in here, man. You got to get him some aspirin or something. They don't give you nothing. Like, you don't get Tylenol. There's no ibuprofen. You got a headache. That's it. Like, you don't get nothing. And so it's just, like. I was like, I miss ibuprofen, <laughs> but really, I was like, I miss my, I miss my pain pills. Yeah, and um, and I miss drinking, and and um, so yeah, like, and three days are going by. I'm like, not telling them like, oh yeah, I'm just here to serve a weekend. It's like, like, oh man, you're probably gonna see the judge on Monday. That's why they got you in here over the weekend, and, and they'd be like, oh yeah, they don't, they don't see it. like. I remember Monday, I was waiting to the end of the day, and they're like, man, it's like, like. Court's almost over, man. Are they gonna call you in to go see the judge? He must be letting you go. And uh, and so yeah, then I got let go, and then and I was just like, okay, bye. And uh, and the crazy thing of all this, right? The only thing that like struck me as at the time was weird was when I left. They handed me a bag of condoms. They were like the the guards what? did. They were like, Longview Kelso has the highest rate of STDs in all of Washington. Good luck. And they. <laughs> <laughs> he sent me off. What? Yeah, it was, it was, and that was like, that was weird. And that's the only thing I could talk about for years. Um, and I know it sounds like I'm glamorizing all this stuff. Like, they're really funny stories in retrospect, but like, none of these things were enough for me to, me to like quit drinking. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, no all way. the puking and everything? No, like... no, just going to jail, like, not, not living up to what I needed to do. I broke, okay, so I was with this girl for like five years and, um, she was a great person. You know, she had a great heart and I put her through the ringer. Like 
she saw all that she hated drinking to begin with hmm. and she like there was multiple times when we were in high school she was going to leave me because i was drinking and then um uh i remember after like five years or something like that i was just like i think she's getting in the way of this and i was like you know wow like, i remember i just it's real shit. This is this is the depths and depravity. I I left work, and I went to somebody else's house that I worked with, and she was texting me and texting me, asking me when I was going to come home, and I called her up and I told her that I didn't think that we needed we should be together anymore, and she didn't. She was dumbfounded. She didn't like. She was like, "Are you serious?" Like I'm like, "Yes," and like that's where it ended, and like we we split our stuff up i don't think we even saw each other um and uh yeah i was just like yeah i didn't tell her you were getting in the way of my alcohol but i was just like i don't think this is working out like yeah. after five years no explanation i was just like i don't think this is working out yeah and, uh, and then yeah so i did that and then how how so you guys have been together for how long we had been together probably about five years dang yeah yeah i mean we lived together so we had an apartment together. Yeah. And I just decided we had dogs, a dog and a cat together. And I just decided like this is this makes the most sense. I'm gonna go to somebody else's house that I work with and not answer her texts and calls and then finally call her back and be like, I don't think this is working out. That's what five years got her. Like Dang. Yeah. It, and uh um Yeah, and then I realized quickly that nobody like I was like, Oh, call my friends up and like, Hey man, can I move in with you? Like, yeah, sure, yeah. And then, then they stopped answering my phone calls. And then, like, finally, I, that's when I moved in with my parents and the whole jail thing, like, kicked off. But, yeah, it was kind of like that. That's kind of what it was, <laughs> it was like. Dang. You know? have, have you that's guys. That's not even the worst of it all, too. Yeah. Dang. Well, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, have you guys ever, like, talked ever since? Twice. So, oh, okay. so there was, um, so there was, like, I would say like maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe about a year went by. I moved, I had moved in with my parents and then my parents moved out, but I stayed living there because they were trying to sell the house. And I said I would live there and keep the house presentable for anybody who wanted to see the house. Hmm. And then that's when the bubble crashed and they couldn't sell it. So I was just staying there. And I remember Somebody invited me to go see a movie, and they were like, she's going to be there. Is that okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. So I went there. I saw her, um, and um, she was doing great. <laughs> she was doing super great without me. And uh, I remember I got super depressed about it. Like, And I really? was like, I was like, hey, I know I effed up. But like, Would you consider like going to lunch with me or something? And she was like, hard no. Like, hard no. And I was like, okay. And uh, it messed me up. It messed me up. Um, even though it was my making and whatever, it kind of like screwed my head up. Yeah. And then, um, then I remember, then I got in a car accident. It was a really bad one. Um, and she had reached out to me via text and was like, I heard you were in a car accident. Like, how come you didn't tell me? And I remember I, what I responded was some, something along the lines of, oh, I was in a near death accident, but sorry, I didn't reach out to you to let you know to appease your feelings and like after that it was like no more conversations like not a not nothing dang yeah until i saw her i saw her maybe a year or so after i got sober like at a 24-hour fitness and i like ran up to her and was like hi and stuff like that and i gave her like a half-ass apology um 
which uh, um, she was kind of like, oh, I didn't realize it was that bad. And then I kind of gave her the look like, for real? And she was like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe. And that was it. You know, I think I reached out to her um, to do some amend- amends. Like once I've gotten through the program enough and was able to properly make an amends, um, you know, I had sent her an email seeing if she would be willing to, um, and she never responded, mm-hmm. which was totally acceptable and so i just made amends in different ways and that was just to make sure that i never did the things that i did to her to anybody else yeah and so um so i i try to make amends in that relationship by not repeating those same things but yeah that was kind of like it was a cold ugly ugly breakup that i take 100 percent responsibility for yeah she probably wouldn't like she's a gracious enough person i think that she would would refute that she might take like five or ten percent yeah (laughs) but but, you know that's not wouldn't even be necessary i probably no i mean i think that it it's i mean i think it's amazing that you can you know like that's my you know my past relationship ended ugly and it's i totally own that it was my fault too you know and i've Mm -hmm. had other people try and you know well i'm like no 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 (laughs) i fucked up yeah like you know so i think it's you know, it's it's great that you can acknowledge that, but yeah. um, I think it's cool too that you you wanted to make amends and everything. Oh yeah, but yeah. but so once you, I guess uh, to continue on from there, yeah. what did the what did the next part of the path look like? Oh, it was uh, uglier than the rest, if you could believe it. I mean, so I mean, like those are like some events, but I would say like the day to day of what I was doing was I was drinking and I was using, I was calling out sick from work. And I was just isolating myself in a room. You know, I was just. And when you say using the pain pills. Pain pills. I was heavily addicted to pain pills. And I also did a lot of cocaine. Um, Not like a ton, but it was, it was a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, um, And I dabbled in all the other drugs and stuff like that. But like those three were the ones that were, those were staples. Alcohol, because I can get whenever I want. Pain pills because that was my drug of choice, and cocaine because it helped me drink more. You know, when when you when you were about like just saying how much it was, I I almost was like an unhealthy amount, but then I was like, <laughs> what's a healthy amount? What of is a healthy amount? You know, it's a funny. There's a funny saying like, okay, so in the in the big book, it it states that like of AA of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a book, and it states like, you know, we all have like aspirations. I'm paraphrasing. There's aspirations to drink like a gentleman, right? But I've been in in meetings that were CA for Cocaine Anonymous. And, and, you know, everybody who, not everybody, but a lot of people who are in Cocaine Anonymous also go to Alcoholics Anonymous because it's the same principles. It's just Mm. a different substance, right? But we quote that book because we're like, we all wanted to drink like a gentleman, but how do you do cocaine like a gentleman? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I wish, because in the root of it is, I wish I could drink, but I wish there wasn't any consequences. I wish I could just do all this stuff and there wouldn't, like, I would just be a normal person, right? It's just mm-hmm. not achievable. How do you do cocaine and be a normal person? You know what I mean? So, Fair yeah, enough. like unhealthy amount is like all. Any amount, yeah. <laughs> any, any amount, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, so that was my day-to-day. I mean, I was like, I never, I called out sick all the time. Um, uh, I was using all the time. Um, and, uh, um, yeah. That was it. That's, I mean, all I really remember of much. And I, I mean, I had a good job. So I went from working like housekeeper at a um, respectable like hospital 
to being like a laboratory assistant, like where I was handling patient stuff. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, when I was there, I was present, um, short of nodding out at the desk and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, but I mean, I was, I prided myself with quote marks that I was like, you know, a guy who knew everything about the department that I was in. And if they, if I wasn't there, then they were struggling for sure. But <laughs> like not thinking like, Hey, you're not there 20 out of 30 days. Yeah. You know, like they're still in business. Hey, guess what? They're going strong. <laughs> like, but that was my broken brain. Like I thought it was everything is, uh, yeah. So there, I remember this one time that, uh, not remember one time. This is a pretty big thing is I was coming off a pretty big bender. Um, when I was taking pain pills, I didn't sleep well. Um, even though it makes you sleepy, you don't sleep. Um, and I was out of all the days I decided I was going to go to work this day. So I had pocket full of pain pills, zero sleep. I'm driving to work and I'm nodding out at the wheel. I wasn't under the influence cause I didn't take anything that morning. But I was definitely messed up from all the drugs I had been taking. And I was nodding out at the wheel. And I was probably almost, I was probably less than a mile away from work. And I crossed the median and I slammed into another car. Like, fast. Um, And I remember waking up from my car. I I remember just my eyes were closed and I felt like my head was being like, I felt like I was in a centrifuge. Like I was being pulled, my body was being pulled one way, but my head was going in a different direction. And I remember waking up and I couldn't see anything. My, my windows were smashed and um, the car was, I smelled burning metal. And like, like I, I remember this because this is all I can remember of it. I remember reaching into my pocket. I pulled out the bottle of pills and they were all smashed and they all just fell out of my hand like it was a movie. Like I just, I had a bunch of pills that were all smashed in my hand and they just fell to the ground. And then I pulled out my phone and I looked at it. My screen was cracked. And so I, I, I passed back out and I wake back up and I have my phone in my hand and I dial work and I call out sick. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I don't know what was going on. Yeah, I remember I called out and I was like, yeah, hey, this is Sean. I'm calling out for today. I'm not going to be able to make it. I was in a car accident. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, While you're still in the car. Well, I was still in the car. And then I call and I pass back out. And then I wake back up again and I call my dad or my mom. And I say, hey, I want you to know I was in a car accident. Um, but hey, I got to go. The cops are here. And, and the only reason I remember saying that was because I saw flashing lights. Mm-hmm. All my, I was, it was airbag, airbag dust, um, smoke, smashed windows. I couldn't see anything. I had tinted windows, so like it was smashed and spidered, so I couldn't see out of it. All I could see were the flashing lights. I was like, hey, look, I got to go. The cops are here. And I pass out. And I remember waking up, and I'm screaming because I'm being pulled out of the car. And then I pass out. And I wake up and I'm in an ambulance and they're, they're taking scissors and they're cutting up my leg and they're getting close to my groin. And mm-hmm. I remember it was a Friday cause I was wearing my nice jeans. We were only allowed to wear jeans on Friday. And I'm like, these are my nice jeans. 
and they're cutting them up and they're going towards my crotch and then I pass back out. And then, and then I wake up, I'm in the hospital um, and there's a cop there and he's asking my family questions and then he sees me and he tells me, he asked me a few questions and he's like, okay. And before I pass back out, I grab him. I grab him by the arm and he looks at me like we got, you know, code five. I got to get my pistol out. And I say, is the other person okay? And he says, yeah, they had some bumps and scrapes, but they're okay. Um, little did I know that I had flipped that car over. The um, other car? The other car had flipped onto its side. Um, it was a PT Cruiser. Um, I remember that. Um, I was in the news, um, and they released my name, but not the other person's. Um, they never stated that whether I was under the influence. I was never charged. Uh, I think I was given like like an infraction, but I was never officially charged with anything. Uh, no drinking under the influence or, or operating a vehicle under, under the influence. And um, I remember waking up and I was in – I think I remember waking up and I was coming out of surgery and they were like saying like, Sean, can you hear me, blah, 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 like yeah. And they were like, squeeze my finger if you – I, I didn't say anything. They were like, squeeze my finger if you can hear me. And I squeezed it. And um, they were like, okay, um, get get him. Like one cc is allotted and two cc's of something else. And I remember saying thank you. And I passed out. And um, yeah. So when I, when I finally came to, I was hooked up. They had put two plates into my leg and like six screws. Wow. Um, they told me I crossed the median. Um, my leg was pulled under my center console by my pedal, um, and it was trapped. They had to use the, the hot saw to cut me out and the jaws of life to open the door to get me out. And, um, yeah, Dang. I was in the hospital for about two weeks, um, with a lacerated spleen, um, fractured rib, and then the leg break, obviously. Um, Good grief. Yeah. It was pretty rough. Um, on paper. Um, but the thing about it was, like, that was an incident that happened because of my alcoholism. And, you know, you and I, we were, we were at dinner, and we talked about, like, like normal people thinking one way and an alcoholic thinking another way. And, like, me as an alcoholic, I can't fathom a person who can – take a drink and then stop who or who drink and don't drink to get fucked up. Mm-hmm. I am a person like if you're going to drink something, then drink to get fucked up or have a Coca-Cola because beer is gross. Like <laughs> what are you doing? Right. That's how my brain works. I honest to the core of me. I can't fathom people who can do that. And vice versa, there's people who look at like my exploits and, and how I would drink or other alcoholics drink and be like, why don't you just stop? You know, you hear that a lot. Like people, like especially in movies, like, why don't you, have you ever considered stopping? Right. You know, the, the, what, when I share my meetings about my story, which I talk about this very openly, is that one would think that this car accident would have been a wake up call. I almost died. We're talking about fragility of life. I know you were in a motorcycle accident, right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about fragility of life. I could have died so easily. And during that time, uh, being in the hospital, it wasn't a wake-up call for me. 
the insanity of my drinking and my using convinced me that that was the best time of my life. I was so happy to be in that hospital. I had zero responsibilities. The work that I was calling out from finally were like, get better. Do what you got to do to get better. They had me hooked up to a morphine drip. I was on the drug of my choice at the click of a button. Dang. And all I had to do was lay in bed, watch Hannah Montana and Law and Order, and like just click that button a million times. And that's what I did. Jeez. And I didn't get better after that. I got worse. I continued to drink. And I remember thinking that if I could just get back to that moment, I would be happy. Like, I dreamed about driving my car into a median so that I could go back to the hospital and experience that that feeling again. And, like, my brain, I, it just, it never, it never occurred that, like, this isn't normal thinking or that, that, you know, you got something, something's wrong, you know, and, uh, you know, the thing about it was I never did it because I was too scared to take my own life, and I, I didn't know anything else. Yeah. But so, so you looked at that time as like, hey, this is amazing. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, that's, to me, I was, like, when I was in the hospital, it was, like, a week of just, like, frustration with myself, and I just, like, the like I was so mad at my, like, recklessness, and I was just, I was so mad, you know, and I yeah. was just thinking about, you know, how stressed my mom was, and, like, you know, I don't know, it was, like, the first time in a while, like, like, when I went in and was, like, prior to surgery and everything, like, like my my younger sister was like so scared mm-hmm. like she couldn't even look at me like she was too afraid to even look at me right and like i think back to and it it's just like yeah it was like so horrific you know and that is wild like because i was like i never want to be back here again you yeah. know like so that yeah that really is telling that like drugs and alcohol just resonate with you in a different way than it does a lot of people yeah yeah i mean i actually so my my leg got infected twice after and i had to go back in for surgeries like so i was back in the hospital two more times after that and like i it's like actually when i share this i don't talk about that because usually when you're in a meeting formats you got like 10 minutes to explain everything and Uh like so you you leave out certain parts but like I, I've, I've actually, like, this last year, so I've been sober for 14 years, and, like, this year and last year have been the years where I'm, like, where I remember stuff that are outside of what I tell and um, that kind of, like, give it more depth and less levity uh, for me personally. So, like, like, I never share, I've never been able to really share with anybody that, like, I've gone, I had gone back to the hospital twice after that. Hmm. Once... Um, because I had an infection and um, uh, a second time to um, deal with like a, the wound wasn't closing. And so um, 
uh, I had a bone infection and they had to take the plates out. I was on crutches Ooh. and a wound back for like, gosh, six, seven months or something like that. It was, it was a long time. And a wound back is um, like they put a disc, a suction disc over the wound for areas that, that don't have enough skin to actually close up on their own. So what they do is they, they put this disc that has suction and it pulls like the liquids that are in the wound out. And what it does is it agitates it. Oh, and there's a piece of foam in there too. So it's agitating the scar tissue to grow more rapidly to fill the, to fill the gap. And it's got to stay on 24 seven. You take a shower, you can disconnect it. You got five minutes to get it back on. Right. And then you have to have surgical debridements where they come in and replace the foam. Um, so like once I got, it was like once a month or something like that. And I had a pick line cause it was a bone infection. So I had a line that was put in through my arm all the way to right outside my heart where I had to do self injections of antibiotics, um, three times a day with saline flushes. And you can feel the cold saline going through your veins and going up to your chest. Like these and like, it was it's it's wild how quickly you forget because even with all that being said it's still that that moment of of being free to just be a user was all that i could dream about jeez even all this stuff all you're going through yeah yeah <sighs> and i thought it was so cool i thought it was so cool because i could talk about it like oh yeah i had like 14 surgeries yeah, had a bone infection. Like, poor Sean. Like, isn't he such a like a kicked puppy? Ah, oh, damn. You know? Like that. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. that is wild. <laughs> it's 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 interesting because like I've never I've never heard your story. I've known yeah. you for years now, but I've never heard the story. Right. And it's like, I don't know. It's funny because it's like I see your life now, uh-huh. and I'm like whoa you would never know i would have never thought this is what your background was you know what's crazy like yeah you see my life i feel like i have a really great life i have a wife i have two kids i i'm running a company for my father um uh you know i i managed to turn it around at the job that i was at um uh um yeah and like if i drank now today if i went and picked up a drink it wouldn't take me any time at all to want to be back at this craziness that I'm talking about. Cause I, I know, I know where drinking gets me. I know if I pick up and I start drinking that I start forgetting about everything else. I start forgetting about my kids. I start forgetting about my family. I, I just start thinking about myself mm-hmm. and, and I start thinking about what I'm consuming. And then I'm back to that moment of my family, my kids keep nagging at me, my work, these customers won't leave me alone. Like, where do I want to be? I want to be somewhere where I can do what I want to do and not get hassled about it. And my broken brain's like, well, fucking just drive your truck off the bridge. You know what I mean? Jeez. And yeah, I mean, it's still there. Yeah. All that crazy thinking and stuff, it's all still there. So it's still like a, it's like a battle. Like it really is. Like I've, I've heard that, you know, like if someone is like a user in alcohol and it's Uh something that you like, you know, you were able to. Fight it like it continues right. to be like a daily battle. Like it's like a forever kind of. It is. I think it's like, it's like, like anything. Like loving somebody or like being a Christian. Like you, you reaffirm your commitment every day. Mm-hmm. Now, 
it's been 14 years and it's not nearly as hard as it was when I first got sober, you know, but like, I don't have temptations. I don't have cravings. Um, I have tasteless jokes where it'd be like, I'm going to fucking drink right now. <laughs> like, you know, like you keep nagging me like this, man. I'm going to, I'm going to go grab a drink. Oh. So nasty. <laughs> My wife knows that I'm like a jerk, but I'm a funny, I guess I'm funny. God bless her soul. <laughs> She's got a big part of my story too, of of how I got sober. So, yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, she, uh, 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 yeah. God bless her, because what a yeah. thing to say. I know it, oh, it's just whatever. Tree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, fourteen years, you know. Oh yeah, she knows. She knows I'm not. You know. All right. Well, was, yeah. So I, I, I want to know, man. Yeah. So from then on, so so I kept got... drinking. I just kept drinking. I kept using. It was way worse. Not only that, I had a medical reason to use the drugs that I wanted to use. I had always had a medical diagnosis of fibromyalgia, blah blah blah, that they gave me drugs, but this one kicked it off. Like this was, like you were in a car accident, you have plates in your in your bones, like you have like, um. Uh, bone infections like here you go take these drugs right it was never enough never enough i started buying online from like internet pharmacies um start i beg my friends i find out who the people were that had them and i'd beg them for them um yeah i got ugly i mean i was continuing to call out sick all the time mm-hmm. um you know you know i'd already left and keep in mind like this is all happening like this is like the car accident kicked off like a one and a half year stint that just was like a complete spiral. Yeah. Um, and I remember, <laughs> uh, at the time I was working in the lab and that's when I had met my wife. We like, I saw her and I was like, she looks really good and I should go introduce myself. Right. She so, was like a customer or something. She was uh work. She was like a new employee. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was a new employee where I was working at. And so I was like, went up to her and like talking like, oh, yeah, I think we're going to get a cat and blah, blah, blah. And then I went and got a cat and it was like, what the fuck am I doing with this cat? Like, I don't, I can't even take care of myself. And, um, you know, just to like, just to, I don't know, get into conversations and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I was like still using it and stuff like that. And, um, we, uh, uh, I remember I asked her out. She said she, she had a boyfriend. Um, and she was working in a department that I had started working at, um, when I first got into the lab. And so I knew a lot of the people. And then uh, I remember I was, I was walking while well, I was crutching along. And, um, one of my coworkers, old coworkers from that department is like, Oh, you should go ask her out. It's like, she said, she's got a boyfriend. She's like, no, no, they, they broke up. And I was like, Oh, okay. So like a sleazeball, I walked up and I was like, Hey, I, do you want to go out again? And like, um, uh, it's my birthday. It was my birthday, and she was like, "Oh, okay." Um, so she did. She said yes. So we went on a date. Um, I think I managed to keep it together for a little bit. Um, uh, did but Did you drink at all, like on the date? I did. I had like okay. one or two. You know, okay, but it wasn't it wasn't a lot. I was trying to keep it cool. Um, because you even knew at this point, you're like, it's a slippery slope. If I if I start drinking in front of her, like, is that what you were kind of thinking? You know, I think really what was going through my head was um, I don't have to drink in front of her. I made sure I, I mean, I made sure I had pills. 
you don't have to you know you, there's a way easier to hide taking narcotics than it is that so like i was definitely under the influence of pain medication um but like i still drank like one or two mm-hmm. you know and um so yeah i was like but like yeah i sweat a lot when i'm on pain pills um like uh i get sleepy when i'm on pain pills hmm. and so like yeah i was fighting that like the the nodding out or the um like sw- like dabbing my forehead while making it seem like i wasn't like super hot while you were on the date oh yeah yeah just like just like you know like she would say something funny and i would just like you know like run my hand through my hair and be like oh that's crazy just like oh my gosh you know just so i can and then like wipe my hand on my on my leg you know just be like yeah it was like (laughs) that was the norm you know for me and uh so yeah we went on a date and you know i think it went okay and then i don't know we went on a couple more i you know, so so at this time, like like I said, this happens in like two, one and a half to two years. Break up with my girlfriend. I go to jail. I get in a car accident. Um, I'm going through all these surgeries. Um, I'm living on my own. Um, in my parents' house, but they're not there. And. Um. My parents are are they know I have a problem because they've had massive arguments with me, so they're like, "You need to get your shit in order." And I couldn't pull it together. Um, my mom, they, my mom had done things like, "I'm gonna take your medication. I'm gonna dole it out to you." And then I, it, what would end up happening be like fucking midnight, and I'm knocking on the door, being like, "I need my pain pills for tomorrow. You didn't give them to me. I need them." Like, mm. like, like freaking out, and they're like, yeah. Don't, you know, like take, and then they'd be like, "Here, take all your fucking pills. Get out of here," you know. And my dad's in recovery. My 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 stepdad. He's um, who I call my dad. He's my dad. He's in recovery, and he's like, "Get out of here!" It's like, "You're hurting your mother so much, and we will not be a part of this anymore." And hey. so they're like, "You can still stay in our house, but get the fuck out of here, out of my our new house. Get out of here." So I'm like, <laughs> "Fine." I'm like, "Fine, love you anyways," and you know, I just like take off and. But I didn't care. I didn't care. I truly, to to my core, I did not care. And so then this is all happening. Go on a few dates. And, like, this is probably, like, my second date with a with a different person other than my long-term relationship. Um, and I always like to think of it as she was like, fuck me, no way. <laughs> this guy is bananas, <laughs> right? So she breaks out with me. And, uh... Um, you know, we had some fun while we were dating and stuff like that. And then, like, I took it really hard, like, really, really hard. And so I tried to get sober a little bit. And I say a little bit because I was trying to do some stuff but not all of it. Like, I went and I saw a doctor and they were like, yeah, you got a problem, right? And so they were like, you need to go to these meetings, like outpatient meetings through the Kaiser. They weren't like, go to AA. They were like, you need to go to these groups that are happened within the hospital and get better. And so I'm like, okay. And I go in there and they're like, it's just like a bunch of people who are like, in my opinion, were like freaks. Like they were like, yeah, you look like you do drugs. I don't look like I do drugs. I have a car. I have a job. I get paid well. I got medical insurance. You know, like I'm not one of you guys. 
And unfortunate thing was they had given me a, um, a medication that um, helped me kick the, um, the uh, what do you call it, the um, withdrawal symptoms. Oh, okay. They gave me something called Suboxone. And it was like, and when I say it takes away, like, there was the some of the worst feeling I ever had was going through pain pill withdrawals. Um, like pain, like, in your legs, you, you can't sleep at night. Um, you got all these phantom pains and stuff like that. It was just, it was miserable. Wow. And it takes away like that. And so I was like, this is cool. So what did I do? Got I would use that stuff. Huh? No, I got, I would use, Oh, I'd go back to using pain pills. And then when the withdrawals were starting to come in, I would take this medication. And so it was like, this is, this is cool, man. Yeah. Um, same time, my dad was like, hey, you should start coming to meetings, right? And so I started going to these meetings. And he's like, you should go on some meetings on your own. I go to some meetings on my own. I'm like, this is this is like dingy basements and stuff like that. Like, this is terrible. Like, people are like, like I just lost my job. I shouldn't, I'm not making fun of them. These people are amazing. The fact that they even show up is, like, amazing. But in my broken head, I was like, these people are, like, these. I don't see myself in them. I don't see what I'm going to learn from here. And so I just continued to use, I went to this meeting with my dad and I finally met some like nice people. They were like, great. You know, like they were functioning people. They were recovering. They were happy. And that's why I was like, these people are happy. I get it. I felt like I could freely talk about what I was going through and people were like super supportive of it. But once I left that meeting, it was immediately running out to try to find something, Hmm. something new. Um, so I was doing that and I'm like, okay, I'm doing a little bit better. I wonder what this girl's up to. So I try that again and she's like, uh, okay, maybe. And then it was like one day and she's like, fuck no way. I, and, and and keep in mind, it wasn't like that. I was just like passing out while we were hanging out. It was like, I'm freaking out because I have no drugs. Like I need to drink because I have no drugs. Like I'm just laying it all out on the table. And she's just like, this is not good. And I don't think that we can be together. And I was, she said that. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Like right before work, we were like on a curb outside. Like I was on break and she was just coming into work. <laughs> like, so it was like a Friday, I think. And so I remember I was devastated. I was so devastated. And of all the, crazy stuff i'd been in this like hurt hard and it wasn't because that she rejected me what it was was all this culmination i obviously didn't care about my coworkers because i didn't show up for work i didn't care about my parents i didn't care about my family i had no friends that were hanging out with me and People that I wanted to date or new people in my life would literally take one look at me and be like, no way. And and while all that was like, okay, that sucks. Maybe I'll get a clue. What finally did it was when, when she rejected me and I went and looked in the mirror to see like, what is it? I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. And... It was like the first time I had ever really taken a look at myself and realized that 
that something's wrong. You know, I knew that drugs and alcohol were a thing. I knew that I couldn't live with them or without them. Um, that feeling we talked about of nothingness, of when you die, some people believe that there's just nothing. And it's a paralyzing feeling. When I thought about drugs and alcohol and them not being in my life, it paralyzed me. Hmm. It would force me to curl up in a ball in my bed and pull the covers over my head, even though the room was already dark. And and when I saw myself, I couldn't even face myself. Yeah. And for me, that's I was at that was my bottom. I hadn't lost my job yet. Um, I was close to it. Um, nobody wanted to be in my life. And I realized at that point that I didn't want to be in my own life. And um, so, you know, I was at a meeting. I went to, with them to a meeting with my dad. And he knows. He knows I'm using still. He knows I'm going to the meeting, going out and using. And I'm freaking out. He's like, what, is it over this girl? And I'm like, I mean, like, kind of. He's like, yeah, I get it. And he finally, he was like, you know, he was fed up because I'm in and out. And he's like, <laughs> I joke about this a lot, especially in the meetings. Where we were at a meeting across the street was, a, was an open parking lot, and they had this big tree. And it was pouring down rain. It was March. And it's pouring down rain. And my dad's like, yeah, dude. Nobody wants to be in your life. I get all that stuff. But, like, let me ask you a question. Like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? And I always call it my notebook moment because he's sitting there like Ryan Gosling, and he's like, what do you want? What do you it's want? It's pouring down rain. Yeah, it's pouring down rain. And I looked at him in the eyes, and I told him I want to get high, and I don't want there to be any consequences. And in my heart, that's the only thing that I knew. I didn't nothing else about life. Yeah. It's the only thing I could fathom. And he laughed at me. <laughs> he laughed because he knew that was the right that was the that wasn't the right answer, but he knew that's what the answer was in my heart. And yeah. everybody who's in that program knows that's what's in their heart. And um you know, he said, "Well, that's never going to happen." And I knew that. And um he was like, you need to go to detox. He said, you need to go to rehab. You need to come to meetings. And I was like, okay. So I went into the meeting. You know, I left it out on the table. And you know what I did the next day? Actually, you know what I did the next day? <laughs> I went to a hospital and faked an injury so I can get more pills. Dang. And even after all that, that's what I wanted to do. And my dad knew somebody at a detox center, and he was pulled strings to get me in on a Sunday, which they don't intake on Sundays. And he was like, and I remember being in the waiting room, waiting to be called up, and he's blowing my phone up because I have to get there by 10 a.m. And I go in, I go to the doctor, and they're like, well, you got a contusion on your hand, so we're going to give you some ibuprofen. I was like, mm, can I get some pain pills? And they're like, for a bruise? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, mm, okay. So they leave. They come back. They, they, they're like, here you go. I walk out. I look at the script. And it was like, it wasn't Vicodin. It wasn't Oxy. It was like some 
some drug that they either give to pets or they like it's like oh. something you can get like at like over the counter in Canada. And I was like, I looked at it and I said, I think I'd rather go to detox. <laughs> so I call my dad up and he's like, where the fuck are you? I have been calling you forever. Like you need to get your, we have 15 minutes to get from Gresham to Tigard so that I can get intaked and go in. And he, and he does, we race out there and we were like five, 10 minutes late, but she still took me in. Right. And, uh, um, yeah, keep in mind this, right? Okay. I said, I called out sick a lot, right? Yeah. The place where I worked had a, uh, a policy that if you called out so many times, like they, they counted them and there was like, you call out three times, then you go up to level from one to two and two to three. So every three times you called out, you get bumped up. Once you reach level five, you, you miss work three times. You're gone. I was on two. I had one ill call away on a level five. If I would have called out one more time, I would have been fired. And going into this rehab, this detox center would have put me at the level of being fired. And so, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to get fired, you know. But then, you know, there was, fe- there was federal laws that protected me because I was going to treatment. So it, it worked out. Wow. I, I disappeared. Like, got broken up with on a Friday, never went back to work, went to detox. I was there for seven days. When I was there, like, they were, like, monitoring me, giving me medication to help with my detox symptoms. They were like, okay, this is just to help you get over this hump. You really need to go to residential treatment. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And they were like, you really need to. Trust me. Is like, that I'm, one of those houses you kind of live in? And they, oh. No, it's like, um, it's rehab. Oh, okay. So, so detox is like a medical facility where they'll help you get past the symptoms of your uh, withdrawals. And then you go to rehab, which is like inpatient where like you stay and they'll like teach you about it and, and like, you know, help you learn about what made you do what you do and put you around other people like that similar. Gotcha. So they were like, you need to go do that. And I was like, um no i don't want to do that and they were like you really should i was like okay well i work for a hospital i'll get in for i can get in for free i have medical insurance they cover this so they're like okay we'll call they're like well you can't get a bed for two weeks i was like okay and they're like you're not gonna last two weeks dude i'm like are you kidding me like it'll be i'm not gonna pay they're like you know what you needed to go you need to go to this place up in washington near yakima it's gonna be like really far away from everybody and it's gonna cost you five thousand dollars out of pocket how do you feel about that i was like well, i don't feel about that at all you know and they were like well you really should do this and i'm like you guys are crazy and so i left I, I didn't leave the place i just left the room they were talking to me and i went and like laid down toss and turn and i had another one of those move the cry i had a crying game i was went into a shower and i'm like it's hot as i possibly can stand and i'm sitting there and i'm like what am i doing with my life how did I get here? It was a blur. It was a blur from Friday to like Friday because mm-hmm. I was going through the DTs, the detoxes. And I'm sitting there. I'm just, I got the shower going and I'm feeling so sorry for myself. I feel like such a POS. But it's not like a am a POS and you do something. It's like I'm a POS. How did this happen to me? And I remember thinking to myself, 
and I'm crying again. And I'm like, there is no way that God put me on this earth to just do drugs and alcohol and take from people and just burn myself into the ground. There's no way that this was the intent. And so I cried, I got dressed, and I went in and I said, I'll do it. They're like, good, there's an opening. You leave tomorrow. Wow. And so, so I did. And I went to Yakima. And I went to this treatment center. There was a bunch of dudes and a bunch of girls that were all the same age as me going through the same stuff. I wasn't allowed to talk to the girls, but that didn't stop me. I got in trouble for that <laughs> because, well, I'm not, I'm not perfect. Um, but, like, the whole time, like, I'm fighting this, I'm like, I left all these people. Like, they don't even know where I'm at. And they do not let me near a phone. Like, it is a rule. You are not allowed near a phone. And so I'm like, I got to, like, find some way to tell people where I'm at, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, I mean, so, like, they keep you on blackout for, like, a week. I think it's seven Wait, days. So did your parents know you were? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Well, Gordon, yeah, my dad took me to detox and my mom knew and then they drove me from the detox center up to yak from tiger to yakima and like (laughs) i'm feeling so sad for myself so you remember dead and gone by justin timberlake and ti oh yeah 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 Yeah. uh the old me is dead and gone dead and gone i it's the only song i had on my iphone and i listened to that song on repeat for the whole trip from Tiger to Yakima. Oh, to Yakima. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, dude. It was it was pitiful. So <laughs> so I get up there and they're like, Okay, well you're on blackout. You know, blackout, you can't like you can't talk to anybody except for the people in your group and other other males and stuff like that. And um uh and no phone calls. Absolutely no phone calls. And don't worry, your parents know. We told them, right? So you don't have to play that trick. So I'm in there. I'm learning about myself. I'm feeling good about myself, right? Um, or maybe not right. I mean, some people don't get to this point. Um, but I'm feeling good. Um, and I'm I'm realizing what a piece of shit I was. <laughs> and I'm facing it. And it's like, it's like everybody's instructed to not be like, well, you know, you had a rough life or like, you know. Like, they don't want to protect me because they know it's not going to be helpful. Um, and so finally I'm off block, blackout, and who's the first person I call? It's the girl that broke up with me. And she's like, I thought you died. I thought you left. There's people at work who are blaming me for your disappearance because it's federally protected. I, they couldn't say where I was. Oh. you know. So my manager knows I'm gone, and all she can say is Sean's going to be gone for about a month, oh. right? Or he's going to be gone until further notice is actually what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, they were like, people are blaming me for this. Like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. I'm up here at this place. And, like, and she's like, well, I want to see you. And I was like, okay, for sure. Please validate me. So, um, like, there was, like, some visitor time, like, they do. And so she came up and visited me and whatnot. And, uh, um I think she got a lot of hell for that. She went and saw her friend and um, her friend was mad at her for doing it. And like, 
um, you know, rightfully so. They were they were protecting her the best way they could. Um, but so I'm doing this thing. I'm like two weeks in, right, out of like three weeks, and they're like, "Here's the next step, Sean. You, my friend, you should go live in a halfway house. You should go live." with 10 dudes and these guys these guys are going to take your inventory on a daily basis they're going to be all up in your business this so this is this is following rehab that's the next thing that they're this like. is what rehab is suggesting that i do mm-hmm. after i get out so you went from detox and then hey go up to yakima yep. now rehab and yakima is like all right now you get to go enjoy yeah the halfway house yeah what you no, they're not telling they're not demanding it but they're like strongly suggesting it right i'm like that sounds awful because i still have the house my parents had you know they weren't able to sell that house my brother's living there at the time too but like it's it's virtually rent free and it sounds way better than what was going on dudes yeah with other dudes right but this time it took me less time i didn't have to go cry about this (laughs) about it this time you know i was like okay it's been let's say Three weeks total, and I feel so much more amazing. I you feel do like feel, I do, yeah. Feel like more empowered. Do you I think, do probably. I feel like it's the first time in my life, of my adult life, that I didn't feel the grips of of alcohol and drugs. It's the first time I could I could truly fathom a life that didn't take my breath away. You know, with that out of your life, exactly. And you're how old at this point? I think I'm 24, 25. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I was 24. 24? I was actually 24. Yeah, so I'm 24 when this is happening. And, um, yeah, which, but, like, I don't have to justify this because people who, who've gone through this know. Like, I drank from 13 to, to, 20, to 24, you know. So it, it, was, a, it was a decade of, of drinking, um, and it ramped up real quick um well yeah just to yeah. think about everything that you said that had happened from between when you were 18 until then yeah like, that's a rough six it was years <laughs> like yeah. there yeah. there is like some people that make it their whole life and never see that much chaos sure. that you saw in, like oh, yeah. six years some people ask me like oh you don't drink anymore and i just tell them i front loaded it mm. like i front loaded all my drinking <laughs> <laughs> got it out of the way I did sixty years worth of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> <Just so> <laughs> Pretty much, my 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 dad jokes that like because he look he looks very young, especially I mean, like, he does he does. Yeah. But like I mean, when he was like in his forties, he looked like he was in his twenties. Like you can see pictures of him when he was in his twenties, and you put them out together, and people are like how he looks so young. He said he embalmed himself. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. does now that you say it like. I don't know. I don't. If I if I saw him on the, yeah. out on the golf course, you know, like yeah. I'd I would I wouldn't really know. Like I'd probably guess he's in like his like early fifties or yeah. something, or maybe like late forties. Yeah. But well, how old is he really? Yeah, I think he's sixty three. Sixty three. No, he just turned sixty. We just celebrated his sixtieth. The oh, party okay. was for his sixtieth. Yeah, he looks great. The funny thing is, he he golfs in like the in like the geriatrics leagues, um, and I think that's what they're called. 
but he's in a like he's in a men's club with old old men. And is that like, the official term? The geriatric? I think it might be because I think it's called they're called the geritals. Actually, <laughs> okay. I was talking to another contractor, and the contractor was like, "Oh, I'm going golfing at this blah blah blah," and I'm like, "Oh, do you golf in this league?" And he goes, "No, no, I don't wake up that early. That's for the geritals." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, let me see." And I'm I have access to his my dad's emails, and so I looked it up, and it was like six. And he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, that guy's in the geritals." <laughs> <laughs> So, but you see him and he's he, he's golfing with all these like 70 80 year old guys and it's just my and it's you know my dad and he's wearing like lululemon he's fully upright he's not using the club as a walking cane you know so it's like he's yeah. fully upright yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh yeah so we you know we got a little jokes yeah i front loaded it he embalmed himself you know <laughs> yeah so and would you would you say that like that this is like, like, at this point, like, could you realize that there was a, like a kind of a special understanding from him of what you're going through because of him kind of like his struggles? Not really. I mean, I, so he had been sober for, actually, he went through two phases and, and hopefully he doesn't mind me talking about, I know he doesn't mind me talking about my, his, his story, but when I, when I kind of first met him, when he was with my mom, before they got married, he collapsed. Like, he had he had a seizure from, from trying to quit on his own. He loved my mom so much that he's like, I got to change my life. He tried to quit cold turkey, had a seizure while in a cat machine. And then, like, they were like, okay, you need to go to rehab or whatever. Like, he, while he was working? Yeah, he, like, woke up. And, uh, and then everybody was around him, I think. And um, so he, he did that. But he was he didn't go to meetings. He didn't do any program. For like 10 years and um as a as a ch- kid like a teenager seeing that he was kind of a grumpers like he was he was kind of mean like all the time in my opinion he was just very frustrated and fed up and all the time like all the time um it seemed like and uh not interested in anything that was going on so i was just kind of like oh, all right whatever and and how old were you when he came into your life i think i was in sixth fifth grade or sixth no sixth grade i was in sixth grade okay. so i was like 12 gotcha yeah yeah so he's been in, in your life for quite a while oh, a long time and, yeah huh interesting. yeah all right yeah i was 12 i'm 38 now and so yeah he uh long long time but yeah so he was like that was my impression of sobriety and so i didn't really know much about it and he didn't really go to meetings he just you know he drove a diesel truck and i knew when he pulled up because i could hear it coming down the road and that's when I knew to shut my computer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so that was my impression of sobriety. And then like, you know, he, I, he had a notable relapse and, you know, it was weird. Like I was, I remember I was in my early twenties. I was like, I, Oh, you know what? I hadn't been 21 because we went out for a drink oh. and then like, and he like bursts into tears because he was like, I can't stop drinking. And I never seen my dad cry before, and I didn't know what to do. And I was on your twenty like, first. No, it was on my birthday, but okay. I was twenty one at the time. Gotcha. And we had like had a drink and blah blah blah. And he was like, "I drink a I drink a bottle of wine every day, and like I can't stop, and I don't know what to do." And I was so far out of my depth, and frankly, I didn't care. I think if I were to be honest, at the time, I didn't care because I was more interested in what I was doing in my life at the time. And, um, so yeah. And then, you know, he went, I went and did my thing and I didn't really pay attention to anything. At some point he got sober 
and I, I don't even know when that happened um, because I was so wrapped up in my own stuff. And so when I got sober and you know, I was doing all this stuff, um, I had no, I had no idea whether how receptive he was to it, you know, because my whole life I felt like he was just kind of like doing his thing and I was doing my thing. And there was really no interest in what I was doing with my life. Um, and frankly, like if I were to be like, just like up front, like I spent a lot of time blowing smoke up people's asses. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, you know, you probably just think I'm just, you know, blowing more smoke up people's asses. <laughs> so, and so, but so I remember graduating from the program after, after three weeks of rehab, of rehab. Um, he, he came to like a graduation and everybody gets a coin from this place and you get to do a little speech. And I remember saying something like, I don't think I finished anything since high school, you know? And, and, um, I was, I was super pumped. I was super jazzed. I was, I was really, really like on the cloud. I was on cloud nine. I had, I had it kicked out of my system. I had no desire at the time to go use. And, um, I was ready for the next steps. It was a whole new life. Not to mention that the girl came back into my life, you know, and um, yeah, so I felt like pretty good. I felt like this was working, and I remember my mom told me that he cried a little bit, and so I was like, oh, okay, um, but so then I went, I went back, and the day I got back, I went straight to this, they were called Oxford Houses. Oxford Houses were autonomous, like, programs, and they, people would buy a house, or they would rent a house and it'd be self-governed um, houses and stuff like that. And then they would have like um, like meetings, like the presidents of the houses would have meetings with other presidents of the houses in the, in the area. There's quite a few of them. Hmm. Um, and I remember going into this and the, something that gets stuck in my mind was my counselor when I was in rehab was always like, when I got out, I wanted to be sober so bad that I was willing to do anything. If they would have told me to stand on my head and eat hamster shit through a straw, I would have been like, where's the straw? <laughs> like, this is like he said that, right? And I'm like, and, I, and you know, the crazy thing was like, I felt that. Yeah. I remember going into this house. I, I found a house. Somebody finally answered the phone because you got to cold call these houses while you're in rehab to beg them to give you an interview because they interview. They're just going to let everybody in, right? So I'm cold calling houses. I find one. They interview me. Uh, they're willing to give me an interview. I go there. There's one spot open. There's two people to interview. And I remember interviewing, and like the whole thing is going through my head is, where's the straw? Like I'm willing to do what it takes to to make this happen. And I was nervous because we both interviewed at the same time. We saw each other. We're like. And when it's done, they're like, okay, we're going to have a house meeting. Go stand outside, right? And no, that's not true. They were like, we'll call you. Oh, okay. We'll call you. You can go. We'll call you, right? So I get a call, and I'm freaked out. I'm like, you know, this guy sounded like he was passionate too. I didn't hear his story while he interviewed, but I talked to him a little bit, and he sounded like he, was, he really wants this, and I know that I want this, and I was scared. For the first time, I was scared that I was going to lose this new thing that I had. Hmm. And um, so I go back to the house, my brother, and I get a call, and they're like, 
okay, you know we only have one spot, but I just let the people in the house know, this is the president of this house, that I'm moving to another house to go help them out. So we now have two houses, two spots available, and we're going to let you both in. Wow. And I remember feeling so relieved Yeah. because if I wasn't going to get into that house, I it would have felt like I was white-knuckling it to get to where I needed to be. I, I think I would have just felt lost because I was only knew of one good meeting that I liked, and it was only on Saturdays, and it was on a freaking Tuesday or something, you know? So I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. And so I'm so elated. I don't move in that night. I move in the next day, um, uh, which was a Monday. You know what? Yeah, it was a Sunday because they had house meetings on Sundays. So it was a Monday. I move in. Um, I get the shittiest room in the whole house because it's there's a seniority system. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was it was exactly how they explained it. There's 10 dudes in the house, me included, and we're all taking each other's inventories. Like, I remember, I remember being there and um, – oh, I remember this. I go into the house. I talk to my work. Like after I move in and they're like, okay, come on in. So I gave them the 30 days. I had to give them 30 days notice to come in. So I like at some point I gave them a rough estimate of what 30 days was. Once they got off blackout from rehab, I called them like, I'll be back in 30 days. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, cool. They're like, come in on this day. So I come in, I clock in and then I sit down in this room, wait for the meeting. And they were like, did you just clock in? And I'm like, yes. Like, Sean, you're not officially allowed to return to work. The fact that you clocked in, you have to wait now another 30 days before you can return back to work. Oh, my god. Because gosh. I had clocked into work, and for some reason, because there was no plan put in place for my return, because they weren't just going to let me waltz in and be like, what's up? They were like, no, dude, you just admitted to doing hardcore drugs, <laughs> you know, and, like, had to go to treatment for this. We got to have some assurances that, you know, you're not going to steal a $2 million piece of equipment. I think they were mostly concerned I was going to call out again, but I'm, you know, I'm just exaggerating. So <laughs> needless to say, they like say, you got to wait. You got to wait again. So I'm in this house. Nothing to do. Nothing like... to do. They're like, okay, you got nothing to do. You should have no problems going to 12 meetings a week. Oh man. Yeah. So they're like, you can go and do that. And I'm like, I'm running out of money and um, I'm like, I haven't, I had scrolled enough. Like I had enough paychecks that my parents were collecting off of my like sick time and vacation cashing in that I had enough to float me through to those 30 days. But I do remember, I think I had to borrow a few dollars um, and it helped that I had a car and nobody else did. So they always, they always paid me to drive them around and they were like, you want to go to a meeting? Sure. You drive. Right. So yeah. then they pay for my gas. So it worked out. Somewhat, um, but yeah, I I was realizing things about my life that I never understood, like how much freaking free time I had, how much time I devoted to getting loaded. I took naps. I'd sit there and I'd be like, I don't know what to do. So I would just take a nap, <laughs> you know? And it was like, it was like on the, I think we were entering... It was like the tail end of April, so we were getting into May. The weather was getting good and stuff like that. But the other thing was like, yeah, they were like, you need to go to more meetings since you got more time. We were having um, Sunday uh, uh, house meetings, and you're like, hey, man, 
what's your what's our assurance that you're actually going to have a job because it was like a requirement to have gainful employment or to be searching for gainful employment you couldn't have a sugar you know sugar daddy or parents that could pay for your rent yeah you had to be actively moving towards being a productive member of society and in my mind i'm like i'm doing it trust me i have a job and you're like maybe you should look for a job and i'm like i'll trust me i know the system it's it'll be happen and i i mean Every week they'd be like, okay, but every week it came up, like, are you sure? And the reason is, is because I was a degenerate, and they were nine other degenerates in the house that knew what it was like to be a degenerate. Yeah. And so they were like, dude, you can't shit a shitter. So you know, um, I had to contend with it, and I had to take that. I had to, I took it on the chin, and and I had to be gracious about it because, yeah. I was a shitter. <laughs> you know, I just got to say, because, like, I don't have a whole lot of insight into, like, what these halfway houses, like, uh-huh. look like or how they operate or anything. It's yeah. really inspiring to hear that it's, like, nine other guys that are in the challenge. Like, they're in the trenches, too. Sure. But they are at a point where they're, like, they're, they are white-knuckling it through. Yeah. Like, I'm not falling back, and I don't want to see you right. do it either. Like, yeah. You know, like, I don't know, that's that's really cool. That, it is cool. That they genuinely, like, were trying to help you. Like, they wanted to make sure that, like, you were not going to fall back. Absolutely. And they also wanted to make sure they weren't in a position that drugged them back either. Yeah. You know, you invite something like that, and then it can spread like wildfire. It doesn't take much. Yeah. It doesn't take much for me to be like, hey, man, check this out. Look what I found. And then we're like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. I mean, the the, the sad, the, those, those guys in that house played such an integral part of my recovery. The sad part is I would say 70% of them went back out. Dang. You know, a lot of them came back. Um, some jumped in and out, in and out. Some I don't know what's going on with them. I follow some of them on Facebook and I see like a lot of them like got kids and they're doing good and awesome. But like at the time, like it was like the guy that I came in with, we actually got a strong bond um, together. And, um, he had another guy in the house that he knew a lot more better than me and they were like really good friends. But for me, like this guy was like, we came in together, we were doing the meetings together. He got wrapped up in a relationship that was really toxic. And you know, I, I wouldn't say as a result, but he did end up going out and it crushed me. It hurt hard. Cause I, and I was mad. I was mad. Like my parents were mad at me, <laughs> you know, gotcha. like I couldn't look him in the face. Yeah. Like it was just like, I can't believe you fucking, you would do this have you thought have you thought about just stopping <laughs> <You know? laughs> have you thought about just maybe not doing that <laughs> but that's awesome that you cared about i did it like that, i you know? did but it caught to a point where i was like i i can't witness this anymore and so i moved out i did move out um on good terms i i left as the president of that house wow yeah um i was pretty i was pretty pragmatic so they and they like that um and uh but yeah they it got pretty toxic because there was some people we let in and we were kind of like they were exhibiting bad behavior but then they were using like eminent domain to stay so we couldn't like force them out Mm -hmm. and so it got kind of toxic and i was like hey guys i don't think i can do this anymore and um you know a lot of them understood um but uh uh yeah so all said and done how long were you there for about a year Oh wow! Yeah, okay. about a year. 
Yeah. And I'm guessing so eventually, like, what did the uh, return back to work look like? Oh, yeah, I went back to work. They did let me in and they were like, everyone was like, whew, okay. Yeah, they were like, I guess. Hey, hey, guys, they were like, they were calling people, cold calling people, like, hey, this dude told the truth. Like, <laughs> you know, hey, like, come on, come check this out. They were like, yeah. Dang. Uh, so yeah, they were. It was. It was good. And I went back to work, and uh, people were kind of like, you know, sheepish around me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What I I remember distinctly. Okay, this is one of the things that I I talk about um, a lot is that in my addiction, I had so many stories that I would tell people. Be like, I would be at a party. This is like this is a true example. I'd be at a party in my addiction. Right. I'm drinking. I'm using. People are like, so, Sean, what's up with you? I'm like, oh, yeah, well, um, I'm applying into this school that's going to get into this, and then it could lead to me being an engineer. I'm also applying for some computer science programs over at, like, at my work, and uh, I got an interview for like a job that I have no qualifications for, but they really like me, blah, blah, blah. And I would just spout all this stuff off, right, to show, mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm doing something. I'm not kidding. The first party that I went to, it was like a family party with like a bunch of my parents' friends. They were like, hey, Sean, what's uh, what's going on with your life? And I was like, uh, um, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing to say. Yeah. I wasn't doing anything. I was living in a halfway house. I was like, I'm living with some dudes and uh, there's a couple. I brought them over here because I was kind of feeling nervous about this party. So like they're over there, and these guys are wearing like affliction gear and like DC shoes, and oh, everybody's geez. wearing like ties and stuff like that. And it was <laughs> it was a trip. I just remember being like, once it was once I finally got out of the shit, and somebody's like, "What's up with you?" I don't know. I really I didn't know. I was just in that moment. That was all, and that's all that really mattered at the time. You know? Yeah. And it was it was a weird weird feeling, so yeah. <laughs> to just kind of like realize that you're like I don't I don't know what's going on. Yeah, well, it was like it was like I realized how much bullshit that I spewed. Gotcha. So my return to work was like it was like I would just look at people and they look at me and they'd be like just nod at each other, <laughs> like Hey, can you can you go get me this, Sean? I'm like Yeah, yeah, okay. They're like Okay. And then like a week would go by like, so, um, where were you, <laughs> you know? And I, I'd be open about it cause they knew, they knew what I was like beforehand and stuff like that. Um, so I returned to work too. And remember how I said that if I called out one time or was tardy one time, it wasn't just called out. It was if I was tardy or called out one time for a full calendar year, that I would have been let go. Yeah. I still had that same rule that didn't go away. I had maybe skirted two months because I was out, you know, on a FMLA, but that was still there. So I went through the whole year. I remember this. I went nine months and I was tardy. And I remember like I had been nine months of showing up, doing my work, being a productive member of this group. And I ran into my supervisor's office. So like, I'm sorry I was late. Like I know that I was on one one way from being like a uh, level five like level like being ousted and she's like, oh, um, no I think you're fine. They kind of changed the rules so I think like it, re- <laughs> it like she said like it reverted back to like a level two or something at that point. I was like, and I just remember being like laughing. I was just laughing just because I was like, 
yeah, I cared that much. I actually cared that I wanted to like not disappoint these people, you know? And did you, did you call out the next day? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like, did you, did you, did that click with you at the time that you're like, wow, like I start, I'm starting to like care about more. It did. And the reason was, is because this whole time I'm like, I've, I've been going through these emotions and like facing all these issues that I had, right. Not just getting sober, but also figuring out why I drank, like, like cleaning up the wreckage or at least trying to face it in a guided capacity, you know, with a sponsor or people in a meeting and stuff like that. People from my group, uh, from my house, um, I was facing that. So in my mind, I was 120% onto making up for lost time. So showing up to work and being everything I could be for that group was about me making up for lost time because I didn't want to say I this is what I'm relegated to. Like I wanted to keep pushing for I wanted it at that point to see how far I could go in life now that all these things that were holding me back are gone. Mm-hmm. I remember this because when I was when I was sober or when I was when I was using I used to think I had the answers to everything. I remember I was in this meeting. This one guy was like, he he used to joke. He's whenever I got high, I felt like I was the smartest person in the world. And he would be like, he he was like pantomiming me. He'd be like, yeah, I could cure uh, world hunger. And he's miming like rolling a joint, like licking a joint. And then he'd be like, yeah, I think I could figure out how to be bipartisan. And roll that joint a little tighter. And then he'd be like, yeah, I think that I could figure out. Um, you know, how to solve the tax problems and then spark up. And then like an hour later, he's like, I want some Cheetos. And that's basically what it was. Is like, I would get, I would take some pills at work and be like, I am on top of the world. I can do all this. And then an hour later I came down and it was like nothing. I couldn't do anything except for think about getting high again. Yeah. Whether I already had the drugs or not, it was just, that's I like, Ooh, if I take these pills now, it's not going to be the same as if I take it in the morning. But oh, I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. I got to do it now, even though I know it's not going to do anything for me. But now that I had freed up all that time, I was realizing my potential. Yeah, I can only imagine what it would be like to have spent so many years of your life having your like your time that's not devoted to work being like, all right. How do I get high or drunk? Like to then be like, that's not on the table. Now I have to figure out what do I like in yeah. life. Yeah, and you would think like, how hard is it? Just go to the alcohol to the liquor store and get like booze, right? It wasn't. I mean, I was addicted to pain pills. I would falsify medical records, so I would go and I'd print out medical records and I would like make edits and then scan them on shitty scanners to make them look like they were like real, like. Like it was because the scanner was dirty that that's why that E didn't look like that. That 20 looks like a 200. You know what I mean? Okay. Like I would do crazy stuff. I, I mean, I would do, and I'm not trying to glamorize this at all, but I would do stuff like I only have two pain pills and it takes me six to get high. I know Red Cross is here taking blood today. I'm going to go get blood so that I'll have less blood in my body to get high on. And I don't know if that's something that actually oh my works, gosh. but that's the shit I would do. Yeah. Yeah. You were just like looking for whatever angle could get you Absolutely. to that feeling that you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. 
faking injuries to go into ERs, hitting up multiple hospital systems because they didn't talk to each other. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah, yeah that's cr- – I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope that, like, that whoever's listening, you know, it gives kind of, like, new perspective to, like, what the battle and, like, how the mind works sure. for, like, somebody that is addicted to something. Like, I've never got this kind of insight into, yeah. like, the – the like the lengths that people would go to. Oh yeah, I mean, and there's worse, worse links. There's less worse links. I don't know if those are real words, but like there are people who did less and got better. There's people who did worse and got better. There's people who did worse and didn't get better, and there's people who did less and still did and still hasn't gotten better. Like, it's everybody's journey is their own. Like, hopefully somebody hears this and understands that they're not alone um that whatever they're going through they they are for sure somebody before them has done it i open my meeting a lot um whenever i chair a meeting like in my like my birthday um my sobriety birthday i open up with i used to think i was unique Nobody drank like me, or if you knew my life, you drink too. Blah blah blah. And then go to meetings, you stick around long enough, and everybody says the same damn thing, right? <laughs> They're like, I used to think I was like, if you knew my life, then you would drink like I drank too. Like, you'd be surprised how many people say that now. You know, not now, always have. And I came in, I said it, and I thought I was the fucking first person to say it. And then I stuck around long enough to realize that, hey, there's actually a lot of people that say that. And so you start to think, okay, I'm not unique, but. You know, I think what holds people back a little bit from getting through those doors um, is similar to like a gym. You know, people say the hardest 80% is getting through the door, right? When it comes to Alcoholics Anonymous or being an alcoholic, just admitting it, it is such a stigma because you don't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to admit that I was an alcoholic so that that I could become part of a number, right? And me and you were talking about before we turned the radios on, or radios, old-time radio (laughs) with Sean. Um, We turned the mics on. We were talking about the percentage of people who don't recover or who come in and they relapse. And that percentage is way higher than people who do recover. Yeah, I I butchering this, but it said something like forty to sixty percent relapse within the first thirty days, eighty five percent within the first year. Wow! And then from there, though, that percentage you know gets a little better, but only the percentage of the people who stuck it out. Yeah, that's so crazy. That like that. Yeah, that's yeah. the. You know that that makes me think about. I was um, I saw like a year or so ago, like some article that was circulating around on social media about how it like how Matthew Perry basically had like over like he failed so many times and like ultimately he dumped millions into getting to where he was sober and yeah. people were like I can't believe he would like waste all that money you know and it's <laughs> I think like thank god he had the means to afford to like yeah. go through so many like sure. that those obstacles like yeah I mean if that's what it cost him like you know, I'm sure it was worth it to him. Five grand to me was like a million dollars. I didn't have a penny to my name to go to rehab. Yeah. But they were like, you need to spend $5,000 of your own money to do this. I borrowed that money. 
I paid it back. <laughs> <laughs> but I did pay for that. I mean, yeah. it was it was something that I had to do because <clears throat> nothing, nothing matters. Not amount of money. The people who are saying you can't believe that he spent that money are think less of him as a human being that he shouldn't have that money and they could do so much more with that money. But to him, no amount of money could give you what he was searching for, and that's sobriety. If he had zero dollars, I think Matthew Perry probably could have still figured it out, you know. But he did what he had to do. It, go to any lengths. We went to any lengths to achieve sobriety. You know, I'm butchering that, but that's that's part of it. You know, the funny thing about it is like this whole entire thing about me saying I'm unique, and then I hear all the people say that they were unique and blah blah blah. Fact is, we are the lowest statistic. I believe in my heart that we are the lowest statistic. I was so afraid of being a statistic, of of being a stigma of being an alcoholic, that didn't realize until I was in it that we are such a lower number that we want to be higher. You know, we want every person that's out there suffering to get better. I cry on a regular basis when I chair because I am so thankful for all the people who come through the doors of those meetings and are there and in their heart, they only want the other people around them to get better because as a result, it makes them better. Yeah. And they come for no other reason. I mean, they come for themselves, but in AA, they say you keep what you have by giving it away. And it's like a parable from Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense until you're doing it. You go and you bring a meeting to a group of people in a detox center. You leave feeling like so amazing. Um, and it reaffirms you're that feeling because you've given a spark of hope to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and so we want it to be bigger. But, yeah, we're a smaller we're, I mean, we're a smaller group than I think the people that aren't recovering. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's tough. But, you know, I – I hope for those that do, you know, that wander out, you know, and they relapse or whatever that, I don't yeah. know, that, yeah, it's not the, it, they don't just accept it. And, right. you know, may, that maybe a, they can think back to how strong they felt when they did, when they were sober and when they were fighting that to want that again, you know, yeah. I'm sure just to taste that, you know, that, that feeling you had when you were 24 and you're like, I finally feel like I'm, you know, yeah. I'm accomplishing something. Yeah. Like, I'm sure it was a that was a high in itself, yeah. you know. But yeah, I think there's a saying that's like a head full of AA and a belly full of alcohol don't mix. It's like once you go into AA and you like you learn about like how better it can be, and then you go back out, alcohol won't be the same. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're gonna come back. It just means like, you know, you're more acutely aware of the misery that you're putting yourself through. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and I'm. Well, I feel like it's gotta, it's gotta be like a new like vision, like a new sight. Like you kind of made it up to a top and could look down and see how low you were. Yeah. And just like, who, you, know, you know, like what? yeah, it's a quick drop though. I mean, yeah. if I were to fall off, like I said, like, like just like that feeling of being in a hospital. If I went out tomorrow, it'd only be a matter of days before I felt like I wanted to be back in that hospital bed. You yeah. Know? You know, my 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 brother. Is convinced that, and my friend Chris, they are convinced that they could see how many clicks are registered on the morphine drip, and they it, it's like you click it, but it, it only dispenses every ten minutes. 
but it didn't stop me from clicking it. Like I think they said it was like ten thousand times. Jeez, I think they're exaggerating, <laughs> but they probably weren't wrong. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I clicked that. <laughs> I didn't want to miss. In my brain, I didn't even want to miss one second. I didn't want ten oh one. I wanted ten. I didn't yeah. want ten point zero five. I wanted ten on the dot. I wanted nine fifty nine. Is what I wanted. But you know, yeah. So that's what my brain would go through. And, that's and that's how and I would be back there in a heartbeat. In a yeah, heartbeat. that's yeah, that's I don't know. I mean, because I I was on I had a drip too, but I was just like prideful and was like i don't want to push this fucking button you know like yeah. i was well that and and my mom was really like from the get-go like yeah. pretty pretty soon after i was conscious she was like i know that you've got all kinds of things in your system yeah and when they when you get released out of here they're gonna give you stuff and yeah. i really really hope that you're careful with that stuff because uh-huh. i mean she was like it's a slippery slope people yeah. get hooked on that they stuff do. and it, you know it kind of freaked me out and i was like sure. well, i don't want to disappoint my mom like I'm just not going to use this stuff if I don't have to. And so yeah. like I would hold out until I was like, my arm hurts. So but like my, like my whole body, like I got to hit it. And it yeah. felt like shameful, but yeah. Yeah. I don't, I guess. Yeah. yeah it, it's, I mean, it's addictive. I mean, like I think I don't, I, I mean, I, there's no reason why people who aren't like, a, have, are like addicts can't get addicted. You yeah. Know? And it, it's a strong one, you know? And Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my things, you know, like they like, you got to identify your triggers. And mine was like, well, what if I have a surgery? You know, like what uh, if all this happens? And yeah. then they say, I have to take pain pills. Like have to, like, what if they say I have to, right? Like who says that? Like they're not going to first, they can't make you do anything. Right. And then, but yeah, I've had two surgeries since then and I managed to do it without pain pills and I managed to do it without feeling like I needed to do pain pills. That's awesome. And, and I talked to people about it beforehand I laid it on the table. I didn't want to be a secret about it. Like, I'm having this surgery. They're going to take my teeth out. And I think they're going to offer this to me, and I don't want to take it. And then I had people come up and be like, look, dude, we understand. And if you're in pain, you got to do it. There's steps you can do. We've done it before, and it can be done. And it's like, okay. <laughs> and then I didn't do it. And it was fine. I mean, I did the surgery, but I didn't take them. And I realized that those weren't issues. And I didn't let my mind convince me that they were going to be issues. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I've tried to, I've tried to be careful about like what I even like put in my system just because it's like, yeah, it's like the same, like for me, it's like, do I have to, like, do I absolutely have to, you know, like, like when I was feeling like, you know, going through a lot of stuff like a month ago or so I went in and see a doctor and I was just telling about all the stress and all of everything I had on my mind. Yeah. And they were really quick to be like, do you want us to prescribe you something? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he was like, I, I, I mean, I could give you something that would like, yeah, you wouldn't be feeling any kind of thing, you know, yeah. like you'd be feeling good. And I was like, no, I don't want to yeah. live that way. I don't want to have to, I want to like push through whatever, like mental struggle, emotional sure. struggle. Like, I just need to confront it. And right. I just told him like, no, I don't, I'm not interested in that. I yeah. just need to fight through this on my own. Of course. You yeah. know, but it's, it's, I was just, I was frustrated when I walked out. I was like, dang, yeah. like they were so ready they were. to just cut me a slip. Yeah. But, there are some people who need it. Yeah. But, but, but it's, it's, it was a, it was an epidemic, man. They were like giving it out like crazy. You know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, see, but the difference, so here's the difference between you and me. I mean, well, I wouldn't do it now, but like, 
like you know like you're like you said your mom's told you that they were going to give you pain pills did mm-hmm. you take them like did you take them home i i took them but i would i would only take them like before i go to sleep sure that what was did you it. do with them when you were done i threw them away yeah my like like as an addict i would always hear this and i'm i'm not kidding when i would hear about people like oh yeah i took a couple of those and i didn't like how it felt so i flushed them and i would get i would get mad and be like you just flushed them like and that would concoct he's like you, you know this like a potable water system man like you know it pollutes the system and in reality it's like i wanted those <laughs> you didn't ask me if i wanted them and uh that's where my brain goes yeah you know like, <laughs> yeah no i mean i i was like i was almost like fearful of like having yeah. them, even though like i i didn't show any signs of being like a you know addicted or anything sure. but it, I just was like, I just knew it could cause problems. So I was like, I don't want yeah. this. Like, I just need to get rid of it. But yeah, dude, they gave me like a prescription for like a hundred oxy. Yeah. And well, with, with one refill. And I was oh my like, gosh. Yeah. I was just like, and I mean, I didn't really, I couldn't fathom. I'm sweating now just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. I could, I couldn't fathom like how much that was until I've talked to other people. Oh, and sure. they're like, that's a lot. Like you if you if you wanted to have a problem, you yeah. could have had a problem there for a minute. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but yeah. so so anyways, so yeah, you're um you're out of the halfway house and you're you're back in your job then. Back in my job, my job is like going great. They're, um, I'm taking advantage of like tuition reimbursement. Um, this department, the God bless this department and this supervisor. This department that I put through hell for like at minimum three years had a program well the whole the whole company had a program um and they were in these groups of teams and each team which belonged to each department would elect a person from the group to lead their meetings and their projects that that like pushed their like department like further made it more um uh, streamline, you know, and um, yeah, a, bu- a bunch of stuff, right? It was, just, it was, it was like a pilot program, but it developed into something that was a lot bigger. And I put this group through hell, and I was an assistant to a group of techs. Like there was thirty techs who all like had medical degrees, like four or five year degrees, and I was like a high school diploma kid. And I put these guys through hell, and through the course of working with them for like a year or so, like they elected me to be their group lead mm-hmm. on these projects. And it was like, it was like, it did something for me. Like it was like, I can't like, like I really want this. And in the past things that I would want, I don't feel like I deserve because of all the stuff that I did. But these guys, these people were like, yeah, we want you to, to lead this group to do this stuff. Yeah. And um, it like propelled me into what I wanted to do as a career because of it. Because I got to do that, I realized that I loved project management. And so I wanted to go to school for that. And I that's wow. what I do. And now I'm like, like eternally great. My supervisor, who I called out on all the time, like would hug me. You know, she came to my wedding. Um, wow. You know, she would give me autonomy. Like it was supposed to be like a like a buddy cop thing, like supervisor and elected labor of person would co-run these groups. But she was like, you got this. You did it. And like they would be like I would have 
like supervisors come and give me like gifts and like you like what you're doing with this group because they fight you so hard because it was a union environment like you're doing like great things and I just remember like this is what I want to do like this is what I enjoy and it wasn't that I was really doing anything except for I was I was telling everybody what their strengths were and how great they were at doing those things that they were strong at and as a result they they did the work and I was like, I wasn't their boss. I was just elevating them, and they were rising to the occasion. And as a result, the work got done. Hmm. And it was perfect for me because I felt like I was a piece of shit, so I didn't need credit. And so it was like things were getting done. Some people knew it was happening because there were strings being pulled behind the scenes, but in reality, it was it was a group effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah. So that that was going on. I was happening at work. Um, that girl that rejected me, like, that's my wife. Yeah. You know, we got back together. I came clean about stuff. I mean, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I know we're past the kind of the stuff, the, the dirty stuff that I do, but like, I mean, I, I had to come clean about go, like getting, logging into her, her, um, medical records like outside of work it was like her one and emailed her doctor and said she had a cold and they prescribed her medication i went and picked it up it was so illegal yeah so illegal and i yeah. confessed that to her and she like she was like okay like we have some trust issues we got to work out um but i'm willing to give it a try wow and, and and despite and and even after that i told her this i said i really want to be in a relationship with you but i have to put my sobriety first so if you want to hang out, but I need to go to a meeting, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go to the meeting. And she respected that. Like, like crazy respected that. Yeah. And like everybody in AA was like, don't be in a relationship for the first year. And I was telling people, don't be in a relationship for your first year. And I kept it a secret from my parents, actually, which you shouldn't be keeping secrets in your first year of sobriety. But I did it. But only because she was strong. She was strong in that. And um, she was encouraging. Like when things, times like, oh, maybe you should go. Like she wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, you're agitated. You should go to a meeting. But it would be like, oh, yeah, these guys are going to the meeting. Like you should go to that meeting. You know? Um, and so like I remember a funny story was like when we first met, she told me like if I'm not engaged within a year, then I don't think I need to be in this relationship. And I was like a year had gone by and I didn't propose and two years went by and I didn't propose and like I'm focusing on my recovery and she's hasn't left me yet. Right. So finally I was like, Holy shit. I put this girl through so much. I want to give everything to her. I want to spend the rest of my life doing what she wants in life or giving her what she deserves in life because of what, even though it was only two years, it was my life. She she helped me with that. And so I want to return that. Yeah. There's times when I'm upset and I'm like, mm, it's been about four, 12 years and you gave me two. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, no, wait, you know what? <laughs> I love her. Yeah. She gave me two beautiful kids. And we love them and we hate them so much. <laughs> They're crazy. They're crazy kids, but I love them. And I love them so much. And, you know, luckily they'll, they have not and hopefully will never see me, you know, yeah. be, you know, like, like what I was. Yeah. And, uh, 
Yeah. Do you yeah. think do you think that your story is something you'll be like pretty transparent with them about? I think so. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. So So when it comes to like my story, like <laughs> I'll go to a meeting and I will I will say everything that I told you and and more sometimes. Um and I'll I'll leave feeling so amazing. And then I'll and then, you know, Heather will call me, my wife she'll call me and she'll be like how was the meeting? I'm like, good. And I'm like, what'd you talk about? Stuff, you know, because I don't know. It's like, I know that she wants to know about like what I talked about or whatever. But a part of me is like, you know what? These people, these people understand it on a different level. As much as I want everybody to understand it. Like we were, like I was saying to you, there's, I don't fathom how one person can have a drink. They, I don't think they can fathom the depths and depravity of, of the stuff that we kind of talk about, but also the hope. I mean, they can see the hope, but like every person in that group feels it. They understand it. When I cry, people cry. Not because my story is so like movie worthy, but because I cry from, you know, I, I the feeling of that grips of, of despair. Yeah. And, and they, they, I think they feel that too. Yeah. And I know when people talk about it, I feel that too. And it makes me tear up. Um, so yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I'll tell you my story. Um, but it's not going to be the same. I probably cry more in meetings than I, you know, I teared up in here a couple of times, but I tear yeah. up a lot more in the meetings. Um, but I mean, uh, as far as transparency, like I invite people, like if you want to like come to the meeting, like and hear like my story or you want to hear other people's story like please come you know but like don't do it i mean you can you can do whatever you want um they ask you not to share um but uh uh and there's also groups for like people who are experiencing like like al-anon al-anon is a program for like family members who are dealing with people who are in the program and stuff like that uh, and stuff like that. So there's there's a lot of resources for that too. But yeah, I mean everybody's it's open. It's an open meeting. All are welcome. And I mean sometimes people go just because they think they're supporting people, and then they realize that they're there because they need it. You yeah. know. You know. There's a lot of people I've heard done that, who've done that. And uh, yeah, we all come. We all come in different ways, and our stories vary. You know, a little bit, but like the similarities are just too strong. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, like if somebody, if somebody's like listening to this right now and uh -huh. is like, you know, I mean, I'm interested. Yeah. Where do I even look? Like, where? What do yeah. you suggest? Just getting on Google and just. Yeah, AAPDX. I think AAPDX.com. I think is what it is. Um, or you can just do like Portland area intergroup. Um, you can you can reach out. Um, they have hotlines that'll tell you where the nearest meeting is. Yeah. They have uh, pamphlets that tell you like with maps on where where meetings are like there i believe that you can look uh and search for meetings like on the internet yeah too um yeah yeah or if you know somebody if you know somebody that's in the program like you should definitely reach out if you feel like you're like convicted in your heart that maybe like you know you you might have some problem and you want to get better um yeah, reach out. Like I said, you, everybody's bottom is different, or you don't even have to be at a bottom. You can just do it, you know. 
Um, I know people who were like 15 and they got sober. They never experienced being what it is like to be an alcoholic at 21. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just they started early because they didn't want their bottom to be what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Or what it could be, I mean. And, and so at what point, because I know at this point, like, you know, going through a lot of that, you probably like, like your faith and church and everything wasn't like necessarily at the forefront of your mind. And I was curious of like, you know, at what point, because I know now, you know, we go to church, yeah. you know, together. But at what point were you like, all right, I want to start kind of thinking yeah. about that more. Yeah, uh, cut the mic. I, 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 <laughs> I knew you were going to. <laughs> you're a sandbag no <laughs> no um i wouldn't say so it was it was like so aa and and um a higher power are it's a it's a it's a must i mean you the whole concept of like getting sober is that you know that you need to have a higher power in your life to guide you um to take credit for things to, to be because because what got you into this in the first place was yourself you know like it was your own thinking that got you into this and so like aa believes in a higher power now the thing about it is like doesn't have to be jesus it doesn't you know have to be god per se like it's a it's a higher power of your own understanding i had a person who said tom hanks was their higher power what yeah it was yeah um she's a wonderful person too she's absolutely a wonderful person and she has a long time you know, and, uh, Interesting. Um, yeah, but you know what? Like it can be as long. I think the, I mean, I won't get into like deep, but it's, it's, I think for myself, it was that I needed to understand that I for sure was not in control of my own life. <laughs> and it took a lot of people to get me to turn it around. Yeah. Like it took like a whole group of people. It took like a person who had gone through it, like my father to, to point me in the direction. It took a lot of rejection and so, um, yeah, so like I absolutely could not do it on my own. So believing in a higher power, having grown up, I grew up going to a Baptist church. Um, and then as a, like a, like 10 year old stopped. So I always believed in Christ and, um, and so it made it easier for me when I was in the shower crying about it and saying, God did not put me on this earth. Like it was an acknowledgement of that I've pushed him out so long that it was an invitation back, you know, to to guide me because it was like I, I don't I'm look at me, I'm in a shower of a detox center, you know. Yeah. What I I can't do this, man. And I need help. And um so once I stop, once I let go, whether it's metaphorical or physical, like I let go of the control and things seem to get better. Wild how that happens, huh? It is crazy. It's wild. It is wild. <laughs> it's and uh um Yeah. But it's, it's humbling. It's humbling. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's been times in my life where I'm just like I have been like it feels like the cards are are just not what I would ever want them to be, you know. Right. At certain points, it's just been like, man, things are not great. Yeah. But I've always had hope. I'm like, God's taking care of me so many times in my life. Yeah. 
spared me once in a real big way, you know, and it's just like, I have to have trust, you know, mm-hmm. just like, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. I, I don't know it. I don't see the path, but yeah. I'm certain he'll guide me there. Sure. You know, but, um, yeah. And, and like, so what was your wife or, you know, girlfriend to become wife? What yeah. was her understanding of like where you were at and your kind of, uh, I think she was there. I mean, she saw it like she, I think she kept it from her parents as well, you know, like, but she would check in me in with me. I mean, she saw me at work and then she would check in with me at like the halfway house and stuff like that. And so she could see like what was going on in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was infinitely better than when she saw me on my bottom. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a good base. That was a good baseline to start with her because it was only going up after that. As long as I had turned it around, everything after that point was fantastic. She was like, this guy keeps getting better and better. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it's, um, it's just, it's really amazing to, like, it's so wild to know who you are and yeah. to, hear about what you're you, I mean you're just like such a hard-working guy now and you have like so much going on and mm. you've accomplished so much that it's it's just wild to hear this story and <laughs> to think that like you used to be the same person that you're talking about yeah it just seems yeah. like it's I don't know it's yeah. amazing and you know I just hope that if somebody can resonate with any bit of that that they can you know draw of like yeah. that that hope, you know, that inspiration of like, shit, this guy, he did some crazy stuff. Sure. Like, yeah, I've done some crazy stuff. Maybe I can do some pretty cool stuff, too. You know? Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, um, I think it's worth noting that just quitting, just being able to take that first step, you know, there's 12 steps in AA, just even admitting that you're an alcoholic or just are just making the effort of showing up in a meeting, calling somebody to talk to them is by far one of the biggest miracles. Each day that you have, like, sure, I have 14 years, but each day that somebody has is a miracle. To know that the things that I did on a daily basis and now I don't do them is a miracle. And there are so many people out there who are the same. Like, they did the same or worse or less and they were able to do it too like it is just like a room full of miracles it's bananas (laughs) yeah like it's just if you know the grips that it has on you and you're able to escape it like it's it's i highly recommend it (laughs) you know yeah but that's not to say like you know i'm still a human and i still wrestle you know with ego and i still wrestle with like taking like life like back and trying to be take control and then i tend to notice that my life gets a lot worse or i feel a lot worse yeah and then i'm finally like okay i'll let it go yeah 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 i i think you know one thing that um like i i think that a lot of people should strive for is uh just abandoning any concerns around perception you know around what other people think and i think it, it holds people back a lot from like whatever would be best for them you know like yeah i mean that that's a big part of like where i work now is like the culture is like 
is it's all about like owning your own experience and right. making like whatever your life is going to be, whatever your day was. Hey, it's up to you. Yeah. If you wanted to choose to show up to work or show up to a meeting and be in a bad mood or have ill feelings towards a coworker because yeah. you think that you need to, or that right. you think that they have bad feelings towards you, like that's on you to unpack and address with them. Like, yeah you're only making your experience terrible because that's what you're choosing for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that could be applied to a lot of different things. Everything. You know, yeah. if even like for me, a big part of like how that started impacting like my life outside of work was even trying to find, like make a better effort to go to the gym, you know, cause sure. I used to, I used to try and always go to the gym at like the late hours of the night so that there wouldn't be anyone there to judge me. <laughs> and it was yeah. really like, it came down to like, I was telling myself that people were judging me. I never asked them. I never went in like, hey, right. are you judging me? Do you think I'm really <laughs> out of shape and have no yeah. no reason to, you know? like. Yeah. Also, you know? do you notice me as well? Because yeah. that would be awesome if you <laughs> notice me in general, yeah. good or bad, you know? <laughs> right? But, I mean, you know, like, I've, found, I've started going. I go in the middle of the day. I go whenever I want, you yeah. know? And it's like I met with friendly head nods and, you know, some people that I see regularly, like, hey, how, how have you been? You know, sure. like, you know, but it's just like, I kept myself away from a great experience for so long and it's frustrating, but it's, I think a lot of people do that and it's really unfortunate whether it's what they want to perceive about. Yeah. What their, what their friends or people might think of, yeah, going to the gym or going to church or, you know, right. whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. Even if it's like trying a new kind of clothing or shoes or whatever, you know, yeah. like do whatever you, you know, feels right for you. Yeah. Take care of yourself. You know, I agree. Yeah. But, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, and plus we were talking about religion and stuff. I didn't mean to like skirt off on it. But oh, yeah. like, But like, yeah, I mean, like religion's a hot topic. I mean, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ as my savior. You know? Yeah. It's a tough thing to say, especially in this climate. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, uh, um, you know, it's one of those things. It's true. Like, that's that's what I'm doing. You know? Yeah. It doesn't hurt you. It, it really it doesn't. doesn't. I mean, it. I don't think it does. I mean, I know there's like negative connotation and people can, you know, twist it to to say like, Hey, this is like history of oppression and stuff like that. It's like not, that's not me. You know what I mean? Like I said, like I come from a group of, of where uh, people believe in Tom Hanks as their, you know, their higher power. <laughs> Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause it's doing thing, great things for you, you know? And like, that's fine. Um, yeah. Do I wish that you, you know, were a Christian? Absolutely. Yeah. You know? But, um, you know, do I wish I had a million dollars? Absolutely. You know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Each their own. Yeah. 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 No, I think, yeah, I, mean, I agree with that. And th that's something that's frustrated me about my past years of, of ex like, in, in being a Christian is that I started to feel like I couldn't be bold with it or mm -hmm. I couldn't. Yeah. It feels like there's like a negative stigma about being a Christian right. or that like, I don't know it like, yeah, like it just it, like I get what you mean. It feels like almost uncomfortable to say sometimes. Sure. But I've tried to take I've tried to take pride in it and knowing that yeah, like this is who I am and I'm right. proud I'm proud to be in yeah. my beliefs and to walk with God and you know, I straight I was I wasn't walking as closely with God as I could have for a long time. And it, I think it took me away from a lot of happiness, you know, mm -hmm. and it took me away from being better to people around me. Mm -hmm. And um I, uh, yeah, I don't know. While, while people are being very bold about their beliefs and their whatever gender that they're choosing, 
They, mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to go ahead and be really bold and proud of, you know, what I believe. You Absolutely. Know? And, you know, I think it's about the passion, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not the passion of the Christ, but, like, the passion that you as an individual, like, Kyle, like, you are a great person. Like, you get along with a lot of people. You have, um, you have, uh, especially recently, have a lot of passion around, um, you know, people's salvation. Yeah. And, um, like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing to want something better for somebody else. Like, it's like a version of what I go through when I go to groups. Everybody's there to help the other person unapologetically. Um, and... Like, when I think about my own passion and conviction, like, when I talk about my story and I am unapologetic about saying that I believe in Jesus Christ, that it's not that all the stuff that happens in churches that make people, like, get turned off from religion or the Crusades or, you know, like, how could Jesus let something happen to people? Like, how could that be, you know? What I think about and what I present is all the stuff that I happened in my life and how me turning it over made it better. And as a result, I have a family who is thriving. The people around me um, enjoy my company and I help want to help elevate them, not just in religion or spirituality, but in their personal lives as well. And I just want to be, you know, I want to help others, whether that's, you know, spiritually or just, by cracking jokes yeah <laughs> you know yeah and that's that's what it is about for me at least i know there's evangelicals and and they're you know once you kind of break that barrier then yeah and they feel comfortable talking about that then yeah absolutely yeah and yeah and then there's evangelicals who just go out there and they just they want to convert and that's that works too you know? yeah yeah no i'm i i agree i mean it's yeah, I don't. I know that there's people that take a very, very direct approach and everything, mm-hmm. and it's like I'm more so that just want to want to try and just be an open, like a source, like, hey, I'm here, right. you know. And who knows how many people have like walked by in in life or that I've exchanged with that have maybe thought about it, and I and just me not expressing that that's who I am, like, and we could have had a great conversation that maybe gave them a a fresh perspective or something that you know. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get that opportunity because I didn't make it known. Right. You know, but you know, and I I think that you shared something the other day and and feel free to go ahead and expand it. But the kind of pizza analogy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite things. When I was in a meeting, um, and I had already been in the program for a little bit. Well, one of the guys I really respect, um, he has said, um, at the end of his share, he was like, look, like AA, is like a pizza if you tried it and you hated it and you decided that you were never gonna never gonna have that again you'd be missing out on a lot of cool shit right <laughs> you imagine having a one piece of pizza and you say you hated it and then you never ate pizza again so his was basically he was saying is if you didn't enjoy this please go find try it try it again try it somewhere else yeah and i i guarantee you if you are open to it, then you will, you will find something that you like, and that's that applies. Why you bring it up, I think that applies to every facet of our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah especially no. religion. 
Yeah. I mean, I know I've talked to people and the idea like of going to church or whatever has come up and they're like, oh, I just, I don't know. I had a bad experience with church as a kid or whatever it was. And it's like, well, like I would love if you would consider another experience. Like, you know, because I mean, so we we've listened to like a few different kinds of services now. And there's there's been like um, there was one that was uh, I don't know, at some point that I've heard that like I didn't like at all. Like I just didn't like the way that the the pastor was like leading the message. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this isn't my kind of energy. Sure. Like, you know, but I'm sure that for like somebody out there that like I really engage with this guy. Like he I just I like the way he's breaking down the story. And, um, I don't know, but, and I'm, I'm happy for that for them. But yeah, right. I, I just hope, like, I'm glad that that wasn't like my first experience of like, yeah, I don't really like this, you know? Like, I think that, you know, yeah, you saying that whether it's, yeah, going to church or whether it's finding a gym or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that somebody wants to do, like, right. Just keep trying. Like, yeah. there's a reason why you were interested in the yeah. first place, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, but yeah. Yeah. Well, anyhow, I mean, is there is there any? I've I feel I've I didn't want to keep you too long or anything. No, I, I mean, you, you got a wife and kids. And I mean, there's so much crazy stuff. No, <laughs> <laughs> that was just 24. Let's get into 25. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, you know, um, I'm super grateful. I'm and I'm extremely grateful that you invited me to to, to be on this, and uh, I've been wanting to do it for a while. Yeah. Uh, um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I say if you if you are struggling, you know, the hardest thing, and I will say this is extremely, extremely difficult. If you are struggling, pick up the phone, look up online. If you don't feel comfortable talking to a stranger, if you're open to a call, I will talk to people like that you know or, or just even if you don't know them or just need help, I like will guide you or not guide you. That's a terrible thing to say. It, I will I will help. I will help. Yeah. I'll be the hand that reaches out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, 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 that goes a long way or even just, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, do you think that there's a benefit to even like looking for like, like a friend, like even just opening up to a friend and be like, Hey, can you help me? Like yeah. help me find something. Sure. I think there's a benefit. I don't think, I, I think I do know people who have gotten sober and stayed sober, like, or, or kicked addictions, um, who didn't weren't a part of the program i don't think that i could save anybody yeah i think i could help open the door and help with understanding of it and guide you like the biggest thing of like and not to get on a tangent again but like the biggest thing like i said was i took control of my own life even when i went into aa the first time i tried to make it my own program because i took bits and pieces right like once I finally let my ego go and I and or I was ready, I finally realized, and not just in A, in every facet of my life, that there is somebody before me who did it. Yeah. I am not Mark Zuckerberg. I am not creating social media. I'm not creating programs. I do concrete living. I do amazing concrete. That's really <laughs> beautiful. But somebody did it before me. Yeah. Like somebody built what I was looking for. There's YouTube videos on stuff that I do that wasn't done by me. And once I realized that for the important stuff, like getting sober, finding, finding God, um, I leaned on that heavily. Mm-hmm. I took the ego out of it and realized that I don't have to be breaking ground on this 
to do it, you know? And and what that basically did was it gave me assurance that I wasn't in it alone. Oh yeah. And it gave it gave me that strength in numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can get past that, that's like it's it's great. <clears throat> yeah. And nobody's gonna force you to. That's the other thing. Family might try to force you. Like nobody's gonna force you who understands is gonna force you to do the things. They want you to want it. That's what we that's what I want. I want you to want it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the idea of like, you know, like being alone is terrifying for anyone. Yeah. But you don't have to be. Like there are there is support out there, like you were saying. Yeah. And like, you know, whether that's yeah, the community there or, you know, I have my beliefs that like God is always there. Whether yeah. you whether you want to believe in him or not, like right. he is always there. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the greatest kind of epiphany anyone could have is just knowing that it's like you can think that you're alone, but you're never truly alone. Yeah. And there's always someone to talk to, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah, man, I really appreciate you sharing all this. Oh, and I mean, it's, this has been an exciting conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again soon and, um, it'd be fun to just talk about the times and stuff with yeah. you and Matt and just, yeah, but yeah, I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you. All right, and that's another episode of the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it, um, and we'll share it out with your friends and family and let them know that they can listen to it on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, um, all kinds of places. But, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me at nopartic.podcast at gmail.com and let me know what you think of the show, how it's going, what you'd like to hear about, what you, you know, and such like that but um i do appreciate you tuning in i hope you check out the next one uh that's all i have for now so thanks again